This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Today, uh, of course, you know, we're going to give you the tools, the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life. So much to talk about. Oh, I'm, I'm really interested in this very first guest we'll be bringing on as we talk about uh, how a Trump and a Clinton became our candidates. When you think about it, are, are you pleased with the choice? Are you, are you happy? I think it's gone well. With your choice. Because it may very well be that the U.S. voting system is broken. The way we choose a president may be broken because we use a majority. It's called a majority voting, right? And so we, the majority vote wins. The problem with majority voting is it doesn't necessarily factor in how you really feel about the candidate. And there are other ways to select possibly better candidates than majority voting. <laughs> I didn't believe it either. But fascinating uh, research that's um, and, and work coming out of France and France. They also have a they've they've had some issues with their presidential elections because they, too, use the majority voting system that we do. Problem is, you don't always get the person you want. You don't always get the best person in there. Isn't that a Rolling Stone song? Mm, but you get what you deserve. Yeah. No. Well, you Is that get, how that works? No. no. You get what you get what the you system need? creates. But if you try sometimes, you get what you need. There you go. Is that a song? That's the song. That's the yeah. Rolling Stones. Were you going to sing That's it? That's what uh, Trump uses at his rallies. Oh, is it? Yeah, but he walks off. He goes, you don't get what you want, but you get what you need. That's what he closes his rallies with. Oh, wow. That's symbolic. <laughs> That's what a lot of people have been pointing you out. You don't want apparently, me, but you're going to get me because Apparently you he really me. likes the song, so they play it. But <laughs> Has he got the rights for that one? Uh, you know, you play your ass, your ass cap fees, and yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Hey, happy eat a hoagie day! Mm. Here comes the hoagie man. Hoagie fest is here again. What? Hoagie fest. I love how we just find the, the specific song for the day. This is what's amazing about the music system. Like, why does this stuff exist? We can find any song about any topic, anytime. Isn't there a hoagie fest somewhere? Oh, Every day is a hoagie fest. There has to be. Nothing better than a soggy hoagie. Ooh. Two words. That shouldn't go together. Shouldn't go together. Soggy hoagie. Today is eat a hoagie day. You know, mm. familiar. You're all familiar with the sub sandwich or the hoagie. Today's the day you need to eat a hoagie. It's an excuse to enjoy a mouth-watering giant sandwich crammed into your gullet. Mmm, carbs. Mmm, carbs. Carbs. It's also, by the way, National Cream-Filled Donut Day. That's a good... Wow. That's the process of them putting the cream in the donut. That's the cream being placed in one donut. That's a good lunch, a hoagie and a donut. Or, as we've also made popular on the show, cronuts. You just know somebody out there is putting lunch meat in a donut. Not a bad idea. Let me make a donut sandwich. Mmm. little glazed donut action going on. That's kind of weird. You know, I, I'm a little bummed out. Mm. New York has the cronut. Yes. Boston has the cannoli. 
you can get those anywhere. Well, I know, but the Boston cannoli is like the cannoli. Holy cannoli! Interesting. Fantastic. Mm. We don't have anything in the West. There's things that we have. Starbucks. Well, that's everywhere. But if you don't drink coffee, I know, but it came from the Northwest. Oh, okay. But if you don't drink coffee... Mm -hmm. There's always a regional favorite. What's our what's the Intermountain West region favorite? I don't know. Whatever you happen to like. Why, the Denver why, omelet. Why do we have to have something specific? Why can't we just kind of sample from everywhere? Yeah. Well, you can. Yeah. But it's also nice to be an individual and have something special about you. What would you like? A specific type of pizza? No, I want a breakfast food. Mm. Uh, ooh, a breakfast pizza sounds good. Don't we have carrot jello? Yeah. See, Isn't that our thing? That's yeah, my that's, point. It's just kind of dumb. That's my point. Not a can, not a cannoli, not a, um, not a cronut. Those are like like handcrafted, not mixed with water out of a box. Yeah, and then you throw and vegetable grated. in it for some reason <laughs> <laughs> to make it healthy. Hey, we've got uh, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. Of course, we will be talking about the U.S. voting system. Is it really broken? According to our, our mathematician, yeah. There's a better way to do that. Plus, uh, lots of interesting headlines. Samsung, Samsung's finally fixed the Galaxy 7. Their fix is very simple. Just don't charge it all the way, and it won't explode oh, nice. on you. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Apple released their new software, and it bricked a bunch of phones yesterday, including mine. Of, did it brick your phone? Yeah. I spent most of the day trying to fix it. Oh, brother. Better not brick mine. Just wait. It'll get better. Ah. We'll get to all of that fun news, but first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie? After canceling events for a few days due to a pneumonia diagnosis, Hillary Clinton is reportedly going to return to the campaign trail on Thursday. According to spokesman Nick Merrill, Clinton spent Tuesday at home watching President Obama's speech on her behalf and catching up on work. She was sidelined after a highly publicized incident on Sunday during which she grew dizzy and had to leave a 9-11 ceremony early. Ivanka Trump will join her father, Donald Trump, on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania Tuesday night to present child care policies she has reportedly spent considerable time developing. The Trump plan will rewrite the tax code to allow working parents to deduct from their income taxes uh, child care expenses for up to four children and elder- elderly dependents. Other proposals include revised federal savings accounts to set aside funds for child development child development and educational needs, as well as a guaranteed six weeks of paid maternity leave. New York Attorney General has opened up an inquiry into the Trump Foundation after extensive reporting has uncovered that the charitable organization may have been involved in a pay-for-play political schemes. The New York AG is also leading a fraud lawsuit against Trump University in the state. And finally, yes, a, ma'am. a Colorado Springs homecoming queen's popularity is extending online after she posted pictures showing she won the position while dressed as a T-Rex. Sarah McDonald, a senior at Liberty High School, posted a photo to Twitter showing her posing with her family. Hmm. Um, She was wearing a sash, a tutu, and a Tyrannosaurus Rex costume. And also, Sarah's boyfriend also babysits a group of kids who drew a picture of Sarah as a T-Rex because (laughs) they believe she is an actual dinosaur. Wow. Yeah. She's selling it. She just wears the costume so much that the kids actually believe she's (laughs) a dinosaur. And she's got those itty-bitty arms. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sadie, thank you. I guess that's one way to do it. You dress up like a dinosaur. A T-Rex. <sighs> Where to begin? Where to begin? Hillary Clinton, uh, still sick, apparently. Still has the punomia. 
Oh, let's get a quote from her. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. <coughs> she sounds better. She's getting her cough's getting better. <coughs> There's not as much phlegm. <coughs> yeah, it's less phlegmy. She uh, doesn't seem to be taking the doctor's advice. They told her five days, but she's still having interviews. She's still on the Late Show, I believe. Come on. Her lawyers talked him down to three days. Yeah. You know, you got to be obedient, Hillary, if you want to get better. Uh, apparently, she was on uh, Colbert, um, and he, he, has a, he has a great bit of advice for her about pneumonia. The big political story this week continues to be the question surrounding Hillary Clinton's pneumonia, or as some are calling it, Lungazi. <laughs> Not many people. So far, just me, but some. (laughs) On Sunday, Secretary Clinton fainted and stumbled after leaving a 9-11 memorial service. At first, her campaign said she was overheated, then later admitted she had been secretly diagnosed with pneumonia two days earlier. And may I remind you, that's pneumonia with a silent P. (laughs) Why is that P even there, and who silenced it? Now, sources say the real issue is chronic dehydration, exasperated by her reluctance to drink water, which has become a source of tension with her staff. Adding, quote, she won't drink water, and you try telling Hillary Clinton she has to drink water. (laughs) Challenge accepted. (laughs) Secretary Clinton, What if I told you there was a non-alcoholic beverage you can get free from any faucet, even sometimes from the sky? It's packed with oxygen, and get this, twice as much hydrogen. And it's delicious, like a tall glass of unflavored Gatorade. Ah, water. You need it to live. Really good. Really good. Good advice. Drink water. Challenge accepted. Hmm. He'll, he'll take on Hillary, and I wonder why she won't drink water. Some people don't like the taste of I water. don't. I mean, the taste is one thing. Uh, it used to give me heartburn, but now I've fixed that since they've stuck a camera down my throat. Just more Diet Coke? Yep. Okay. They say if you keep your Diet Coke levels high enough, there's, there's, water no, there. way, there's no way acid can get in your belly. <laughs> Isn't that uh, interesting? She's um, she's recuperating apparently, but she's not off the trail really because she just sends her minions out, yes. or in this case, the president of the United States. It's a good minion to have. Man, that's a great. She's got a great team. Mm. She just sends the president out and the past president. Her husband's going to Las Vegas, I believe, today. Yeah, that's to speak at not a, rally. a good idea. Well, yeah, okay, he is. You know, 75 or whatever he is. Uh, So Obama's out there beating up uh, Trump. Think about the fact that that is Donald Trump's role model. I mean, you know, I have to do business with Putin. I have to do business with Russia. That's part of foreign policy. But I don't go around saying that's my role model. Can you imagine Ronald Reagan idolizing somebody like that? He saw America as a shining city on a hill. Donald Trump calls it a divided crime scene. Hmm. It's true. Would Reagan have loved a Trump? No, and many have said that uh, Reagan wouldn't be a considered a conservative. Yeah, today, no. By today's standards, they've gone far beyond what he even would uh, would have said. Well, I think a lot of people are wondering if they're a conservative anymore. <clears throat> like, what's happened to us? 
Speaking of, yeah. Mike Pence went to Capitol Hill yesterday, right? acting, as it says here, as an emissary for running mate Donald Trump uh-huh. to rally support from Trying the congressional Republicans. Trying to get a little love from Congress. He uh, goes in. He, was, he spoke at a press conference. He was asked again about David Duke. He said again, I can't understand why the media keeps asking about David Duke. And uh, mainly because David Duke keeps tweeting out his support for Trump. And you have to blow it up. So what they're saying, uh, he denounced Hillary Clinton's comments, this is Mike Pence, that some of Trump's supporters fit in a basket of deplorables. House and Senate Republican leaders declined to join Mr. Pence in rebuking Mrs. Clinton over that remark. Huh. He wanted to get people to kind of rally. Come on in, everybody rally against Hillary for calling the uh, bunch of the Republicans, what does she call it, a... Basket, basket of, of deplorables. deplorables. So he he spoke and then he stepped away and then uh, uh, Speaker of the House uh, jumped in. What's uh, I forgot his name. Just, Paul Ryan. There you go. Paul Ryan jumped in and he talked about his own sort of agenda and some other things he was talking about. Pence again declined to call former KKK Grand Wizard and Trump supporter David Duke a deplorable. He said we're separate from him. We don't want to support. Oh, so he is a deplorable. So then CNN yesterday asked him, right. or the other day, or Monday asked him, "Will you call him a deplorable?" He he declined. He goes, "I don't. I don't get into name calling." He hmm. did that same sort of line of, of commenting yesterday again. Uh, let's see. Senator Mike Lee from Utah said through a spokesman that uh, he told Pence and Trump they need to denounce the alt-right movement more forcefully and Republicans must identify David Duke's racism as deplorable. Right. They want they want him to use the word, and he won't do it, because Clinton used You can't it. use the D word, because then you're going with Clinton. Pence was greeted generally warmly by his fellow congressional colleagues. They Senator, like him. Senator John McCain chided Pence and Trump for embracing a thug and a butcher in Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Yep. Pence reportedly insisted that he and the GOP presidential nominee were trying to belittle President Obama rather than praise the Russian president. Pence also assured colleagues, uh, the New York Times reports, that Trump behaved dif- behaves differently in private and even has a spiritual side. Really? Again, Pence has probably the hardest job in the world. Cleaning up after Donald? He's the cleanup guy. He says that's not what he's doing. Looks yeah. like that's what he's doing, but it's not what he's doing. He's the guy at the circus after the elephant parade <laughs> <laughs> that just brings a wheelbarrow. So that's kind of some things that happened yesterday. Wow. They tried to and Donald Trump unveiled his child care plan. This is very interesting. So he's not just evil. He likes children. The first part of my child care plan allows for every parent or family in America, including adoptive parents and foster parent guardians, to deduct their child care expenses from their income taxes. That's a first. Families with a stay-at-home parent will be able to fully deduct the average cost of child care from their taxes. It's a big thing. By recapturing fraud and improper payments in the unemployment insurance program, we can provide six weeks of paid maternity leave to any mother with a newborn child whose employer does not provide the benefit. Hmm. See? He loves children. Says who? Well, says Donald. Says who? The the press conference was interrupted by a child. Really? They all applauded. He goes, there's the first child. They will, they will benefit from my, my program. Or was something it the like same that. child that he told to get out of the room? No, that, he's was, making... that was a different child. That was a different child. Yeah. This was in Pennsylvania. That was in Virginia or something. <laughs> Oh, Donald. And he was standing there with his daughter, Ivanka, who yeah. talked about this at the, Demo- at the Republican National uh, Convention. This is a big deal. Which caused some confusion because that that's kind of haven't been a Republican talking point. Right. 
It's and, like we're pro children. Well, pro maternity leave. Pro maternity leave, but also and pro uh, pro policies by the government that Republicans historically never wanted to unleash. Right. Hmm. So we'll see. Oh, the tangled web. Okay, we are going to come back. When we when we come back, we'll be talking about uh, the voting system. Are we are we choosing our candidates properly? This uh, majority voting is it getting you the candidate you most appreciate and care for, or is it setting us up for a uh, a little failure? Stick with us. We'll be talking with the pros about it. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, suffrage or the right to vote is a hallmark of a free society. Voting is supposed to ensure that citizens get what they want, and the candidates they vote for should be a representation of the people themselves, right? Do you buy that? So are Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump the voice of the American people? Or are they the voice of a failed voting system? Here to speak to us today is Michel Belinsky. He's an emeritus chaired research professor from of France's National Center for Scientific Research at Ecole uh, Polytechnic, where he researched problems concerning political representation and elections. He's here today to talk to us about uh, why our process of majority voting might be creating some problems for us. Dr. Michelle Belinsky, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. All the way from France. And apparently, uh, Dr. Belinsky, this is the same. In France, you're having a similar problem uh, with the majority voting as we are having here in the United States. Absolutely. Exactly. Very similar problem. Talk to us about it, because, you know, I, I think when I when I first heard about uh, your 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 information, I thought, oh, wow, we really going to go change the voting system. But I think you are on to something that is so important. Talk to us the difference about majority voting versus what you call majority judgment. Well, let me begin, if you uh, permit me, by quoting a, a few lines from yes. Walter Lippmann was the greatest uh, American journalist of the 20th century. And he said, he, here's what he says. He says, but what in fact is an election? We call it an expression of the popular will. But is it? We go into a polling booth and mark a cross on a piece of paper for one of two or perhaps three or four names. Have we expressed our thoughts? Presumably. We have a number of thoughts on this and that with many buts and ifs and ours. Surely, the cross on a piece of paper does not express them. Hmm. Calling a vote the expression of our mind is an empty fiction. That, I think, is uh, a very accurate expression of the way most people vote throughout the world today. Right. Voters are unable to express what they believe about the candidates. And this has led uh, to the election of many people who I would say were not wanted by the electorate. I, I mean, the first example, the most astounding, the recent example, is George W. Bush in 2000. 
Now, why was, you know, why did the method fail? Method failed for the following reason, in, and it was, had to do with the state of Florida. Mm. In Florida, Bush had about a little less than three million votes, and so did Gore. In fact, the difference, as I think everybody knows, was 537 votes. <laughs> the problem is there was a third candidate, Ralph Nader. He had about a, just a little under 100,000 votes. But he was the spoiler. Because it is quite clear that the large majority of Nader voters preferred Gore to Bush. Right. If he were up they were unable to express it. Therefore, the fact that there was a minor candidate that was in the election changed the outcome. Now, this is not the only first time this happened. But and it didn't get it didn't get the the person that was most popular, most liked, was not the one that was voted for. That yes, the third person won. Exactly. I mean, in, in the, the problem is that you, you, you have the decision between the two real candidates, Bush and Gore, essentially in this case, decided by the present presence of a candidate who hadn't the slightest hope of being elected. Hmm. It's true. So as if you have a sports competition and you have two people who are, the, you know, the, 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 by far the best, and there's some other competitor who uh, competes, but just by the fact of being there, he changes the order between the other two. I mean, it's totally unacceptable. Well, and you're the mathematician. Is this simply just because of math? We've created a one-check system Uh instead of creating a multiple-check system. Well, I'm not sure if that's the way to describe it. The the thing is that I think people don't realize that... uh, Voting is an extremely uh, the, the process of trying to find what the electorate's opinion is is a very difficult problem, and the the, the problem with majority voting as we experience it today is as clear as just as Lippmann said. I mean, you have a bunch of candidates before in front of you, and you vote for one. Now you you know you may vote for a certain candidate, and I may vote for the same one. And yet, maybe you're enthusiastic, but I'm just voting for for the candidate because he's the least bad of what I think is a (laughs) terrible bunch. Right. And yet those two votes are kind of exactly the same. Hmm. It it doesn't make sense. So it really is... It's, the of the I guess that's it, is that uh, of check, a vote, doesn't necessarily talk about how warm or cold I am to the, cli- to the, to the contestant. It doesn't necessarily ch- make sure that I'm choosing the best person or the most liked person. Exactly. Because you, you use similar methods um, in, other, in other ways. Like even I look at it like hiring a, a new employee. I don't want to just go with the majority vote on the new employee. I would probably want to know which of these seems to be the most qualified by others. Who thinks that they're the most, the best team player? I mean, I'd want to look at all the factors, not just a majority. Exactly. But, I mean, I don't, exactly, I totally agree with you. Hmm. It, it's the same sort of a problem if, if you have various, I mean, you know, if there is one boss who does the, it does the, uh, 
hiring, that's one thing. But as soon as it's various people who do it, then somehow you want to be able to eat that each one can fully express their opinion concerning the candidate. How do we get full expression on a ballot? How have you done that in France? How do you do that in other places? Well, I think the best thing is to take a specific example of this this year in which, um, in fact, this was a poll that was conducted by Pew Research Center in Washington in which they asked uh, their participants to judge the candidates uh, on the basis of their potential to be a great president, a good president, an average president, a poor president, or a terrible president. (laughs) Now, they didn't realize that you could use this information in order to, as as a method of election, and and therefore as a way of designating the winner. But the thing that is extremely interesting about what happened in in this poll is it was taken in late March uh, of 2016, of course, and it was taken, uh, they asked the questions on the five remaining candidates of the two parties, that is, John Kasich, Bernie Sanders, Ted Cruz, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump. Now, what happened about this is, first of all, I mean, and this, I will quickly uh, summarize how... uh, we, and I, when I say we, it's a, a theory that I've developed with my colleague, Fidala Haki, how we uh, 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 propose to, to correct the, 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 the difficulties that one has with majority, ju- uh, majority voting. We call this majority judgment, as you said. Yeah. And the idea is, is this. So we ask as did this poll, for every elector to judge whether the candidate would be great, good, average, etc., or terrible. Then what do we do? Well, then that means that the majority can then determine what is the value of each of the candidates. That is, is he considered potentially great or potentially good or potentially average or potentially poor or potentially terrible by the majority. And once you get the, uh, the, the assessment of the electorate, the, the way, you know, the way the percentages fall of these, um, uh, of these valuations will rank the candidates. Mm. Now, in this particular, what happened here was that Kasich, Sanders, Cruz, and Clinton were all judged to be uh, average. <laughs> and one candidate was judged to be poor, and that was Trump. So, so nobody was higher than average. They, no they were all average or below. So we have a pretty average sample here. Exactly. But of all the averages, what, how did they fare? Well, now, the, the, the thing that is, I think, also interesting is that the last two, that is Clinton and Trump, if you look at the percentage of people who thought Clinton was poor or worse, it was 47%. Hmm. Whereas for Trump, it was 62%. Hmm. 
So, you, so now, and this points to the big problem with majority voting. You only, you click one person, you don't, you, you put a cross for one person, but you say nothing about what you think about the others. I mean, maybe you think the others are fine, but a little less good, but maybe you think they're very bad. And that's never taken into consideration. Right. And that's a very, that's a very bad thing. That is, and so um, the funny thing is, Clinton and Trump. Then they were more on the poor to worse side than any of the other candidates. So in the end, all are average, but of the average, um, it was Kasich and um, Bernie Sanders who were seen by the majority judgment as being better than Trump and Hillary. Exactly. Exactly. The order was Kasich. Sanders, Cruz, Clinton, Trump. Unbelievable. And yet, Michelle, all of a sudden we've got, but the media was never going off of the majority um, judgment kind of methodology. It was going off of majority rules. So it just kept building up more and more excitement and energy over the top two. Not not necessarily excitement and energy, just more press. Exactly. Well, I mean, I think that this is the big problem, that this it's not just that the, the method of election doesn't work, but it influences the media and all the discussion that uh, occurs during the presidential election. And so you get this this order in with, you know, Clinton and, and, and Trump were the, were the top, and so it's their issues. It's, we hear about them all the time and so on. And uh, this, this just wrote runs roughshod oh, yeah. over the actual preferences of the electorate. So true. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Michelle Belinsky, who is walking us through a new way of looking at elections um, that would allow a person's opinion and voice to be heard more than just one vote. Um, it would allow us to basically get more information about how we really feel about our candidates. Truly, uh, being able to, to identify who we do want as our president, not just uh, who the majority says should go. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion of majority judgment versus uh, majority voting. Stick with us. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want you can't always get what you want welcome back everybody oh yeah rolling stones but we can get something better can't we well i guess it depends on how you set up the voting system think about it how you set up the system will determine what you're going to get out of the system and if we if we right now look at uh, our presidential um, candidates and think, hmm, not quite the ones I would have wanted necessarily. It might be that uh, we now have picked up two candidates that don't represent us. I mean, sure, they have the majority vote, but they may not have the majority judgment of the people. And so joining us today is Ph.D. Michelle Belinsky. And uh, Michelle is a, a an emeritus chaired research professor of France's National Center for Scientific Research at Ecole Polytechnic, 
where he researched problems concerning political representation and elections. Today, he's teaching us about his theory called um, uh, about um, our judgment and trying to use a majority judgment process where we give people more of an opportunity to to rank, I guess, or or rate um, a candidate and then use those numbers instead of simply one vote, yes or no, do we like the person? Uh, Dr. Michelle Belinsky, again, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Talk to us. Pick up on yeah, please take over and talk about that. You just that you just you you said perhaps rank the candidates or rate them. Well, yeah. that that's the big distinction. And let me. I think this is very important because there are many people who advocate saying, "Well, we should rank the candidates." Mm. Now, the problem with ranking the candidates is almost the same as the one as the same sort of difficulty as with the majority vote, because. Again, suppose we have five candidates, and you, you know, you rank them, say, in the order case of Sanders, Cruz, Clinton, Trump, and maybe I rank them the same way. But perhaps you think Kasich is really an outstanding candidate, whereas I think he's just a very so-so candidate, but the others are just much worse. And yet, in that case, those two rankings are considered the same. Hmm. Furthermore, you may well say, well, for me, uh, perhaps uh, for me, say, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are the same. But if you rank them, you can't say that. Therefore, there's a big distinction between ranking candidates and evaluating them. Hmm. Or as you... you, you, um, what was your rating them as the right. terms you used? So, and we we say it's very important to to rate them. It gives you a much better opportunity to express your opinion than ranking them. Yeah, so it actually makes your vote more valuable because it's not just going to one pile or another. It's actually going to a distinctive. Uh, pile. It's not just uh, Clinton or Trump. It's going to uh, Clinton, great, good, average, poor, or terrible. Exactly. Exactly. You're saying. I mean, obviously, we're at, it's it's giving us, in some senses, giving much more confidence in in the elector. It's it's uh, it's giving him and her the possibility of really expressing what their opinions are, which is now denied. That 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 right, I would say, is. Today, denied. Well, that's a great point because there are a lot of people Uh, in the United States right now that don't feel like their vote matters at all, so they don't vote. If you know, because if they don't buy into one of the two big party candidates, they they never seem to have their vote matter. So, one of the things you're proposing or saying is that if if we allow the majority judgment system where we rate these people, um, then it, it actually gives more power back to the voter, which might bring more voters into the system. Absolutely. And I can tell you, we've, ex- we've experimented with this system in French presidential elections. Uh, and when you, because uh, you can't do that in the U.S., you're not allowed to get close to the voting bureaus on, huh. on voting day, but in France you can. And um, it, it was very interesting to see the reactions of, of participants. 
Now, they would first vote officially, then they would come to our voting booths and so on, and we would persuade them to to participate in order for the good of the experiment. And, uh, I mean, I, many people would say, but my God, this is wonderful. Uh, I can finally say something about what I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really, it, it does give you... A voice, and then because somebody like like you were saying of the top four candidates, they were all pretty much average, uh, which is such important data to see that we didn't have a very good pool. Exactly, and I think incidentally, it's a wonderful signal to give to the candidates themselves. You know, yeah. you, you know what happens when somebody is elected. I mean, all of a sudden they become the candidate. The candidate of, I mean, the president of the and of course they've been they've been blessed by the entire nation by a, by a majority yeah but they may be they're not that highly thought of in this way the electorate can tell them well i think your potential is average <laughs> maybe i think your potential is good but that's you know whatever it is it's an important signal that's true even even if you have a person voter a voter that would vote, you know, they're just angry, they're ornery, they hate everybody. Their vote still matters because it pulls everyone's average down. Absolutely. That's a very good point. You're, you're absolutely correct. Every, every, everybody can, I mean, every vote really counts. Yeah. What are the limitations of this? Where, wh- I mean, I get, I think I get why we're not doing it because the parties have more power when it's one vote, pretty much one person look i would i would put it differently i think the way i would put it is you know as soon as somebody is elected well those who are elected are the ones who have the power to change the system right, right. But once they've been elected with the system well they think the system must be pretty good since you elected <laughs> them yeah don't mess with it but i mean that's you bring up the gore bush issue that was a really big deal and of course and and yet uh you know, it elected Bush, barely, and nobody was going to mess with that system. That, well, of course, I, look, to be, to be honest, I think that uh, changing the electoral system is, is a difficult thing. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, many people bring this up and they say, well, look, this is just pie in the sky. <laughs> it's very nice to have a great voting system, but uh, it'll, never be, it'll never be used. Well, uh, that I don't think is, is true. I, I in, uh, I'm involved in another uh, method of voting, which is not to elect one person, as this method is, but it's uh, a system of representation that is used in Switzerland. And there, it was very interesting because, uh, you know, in Switzerland it's organized by cantons. A canton is a, it corresponds to one of our states. And uh, many, uh, there are now five or six cantons that have adopted this new system. Now, two, in two of those, they were adopted by referenda. Hmm. Uh, and the major parties were against it very strongly, and they campaigned against it. But uh, the, the, the voting public gave large majorities for the change. And so I think that... The, that it would be, in my mind, the only way that somehow one would finally be able to do something in the United States. Well, yeah, and maybe with all of the 
frustration that people are having with this election, you know, it might lead more people to say we need a better system. We've got to do exactly. something. Got to do something different here. Um, I guess in the end, uh, the battle. I mean, this is really just a battle of math. You you came about this. I am assuming just by being a mathematician by looking at the numbers. Well, yes. I mean, uh, the uh, you, you, you know, this is a this. You'll be amused, I think, uh, that the way I started looking at it is that uh, I had a a, uh, a wine expert in France. I had written a bunch of articles on voting that appeared in uh, in the French Scientific American. And this wine uh, expert came to see me, and he said, look, we're having a lot of problems in uh, wine competitions and knowing how to rank them and declare winners. And it strikes me that your approach is, I mean, you're thinking about this in the right way, and that set me to thinking. And so I proposed to my young colleague, La Haki, that we that we work on this, because finally... You know, it's the same problem. You have wine tasters, say, 10 wine tasters. They they evaluate different wines, blind, of course. Yeah. And then you want, to, on the basis of these 10 opinions, you want to say which is the best, which is the second best, and so forth. Well, it's the same thing as an election. Right. And somehow that's the way we, you know, got into this and then saw that, well, my God, this is really the way to do elections. This is, and now we've we've done experiments in France and so on, so that we're starting to get getting a lot of data. We only have about a minute left, Michelle. What would you suggest uh, that we do as the average voter over here in the United States to maybe push our agenda or this idea of of using more of the um, majority judgment approach? You ask a big question. I think it, it, I would say that the, the thing to do would be to try to to understand more about how this system works first. Secondly, to um, start talking about it because it's very difficult. A lot of people just think that majority voting is God given and that, that there's no other way of doing it. Yeah, right. Uh, and they ignore the idea that this is. It's just an invention. It's a device invented by somebody in, in you know, very old, in very olden times, of course. But, yeah. um, and so that uh, just to start talking about it, to start really bringing the issue up in an important way. That's beautiful. Well, Dr. Michelle Balinski, thank you so much for your great insight. And uh, we appreciate anything we can to uh, to learn more about uh, the other options for an electoral process. We'll take a break. Come back, folks. Continuing the discussion. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. What an interesting idea, though. If all you did was rate your candidates from, you know, fantastic president to not interested, to know that Kasich would be the Republican candidate against Bernie Sanders changes the game. 
And yet what we hear from the news is, but they have such great name awareness and everyone knows the candidates' names. Most people can't even pronounce Kasich. Right. So So it's popularity, not the issues of what what their plans are. It's just, do you know their name? Not who you really want. So is it even actually doing the job of you choosing your candidate? I would say most people are disenchanted with their candidate. But at the same time, the two alternate, or uh, what, the Green and the uh, Libertarian Party candidates, yeah. they can't get on the stage. No. They have to hit 15% in at least three of five polls or five of seven polls, whatever the rule is. Right. And they're not well, they, going to know, reach that threshold probably. Jump, monkey. Yeah. You got to jump. It's just horrible. Uh, so let's get to some other news around the world. Um, where do you want to start? So uh, completely you know, transition here. Tran- transition away from politics. We talked last week about some clown sightings. Yes. People very worried in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, I believe, are the two areas. There was some in Baltimore, I believe. People were seeing clowns. There's stories of them l- trying to lure kids into yeah. the forest with scary money. Clowns. Scary stuff. The uh, It says those afraid of clowns can sleep a little easier in North Carolina where authorities say at least two reports of sus- suspicious clown sightings in Winston-Salem were fabricated. Residents first reported that a clown was trying to lure kids into the woods with treats on September 4th. However, police say surveillance footage from the area shows no clowns were present. They also received a call about a clown <laughs> knocking on a man's window around 3 a.m. Friday per the uh, the Southern newspaper. And they, uh, they said later the man who uh, said that he initially chased the clown down later admitted that he was inventing the story and he has been charged with fil- filing a false police report. So... In North Carolina, clown stories, false. <laughs> now, you heard on CNN, clowns are coming. Clowns are angry because the good clowns are sick of the creepy sightings. They're being vilified. It's called coolrophobia. <laughs> it's the fear of a clown. It and has so the a good name. clowns are coming back saying, no more. But. Yeah. Clowns appeared Tuesday morning near a school bus stop in Macon, Georgia, possibly emerging from bushes and nearby abandoned houses and began chasing children. The kids later told investigators the Bibb County uh, deputies who arrived at the scene after a 911 call were from the 3rd Georgia Police Department. They received the clown reports, uh, other clown reports since Friday and the latest in a growing list of bizarre clown sightings stretching across both the Carolinas and Georgia. So I don't know if it's the story's over. But the report, it says the report did come from kids. Clowns and emerging shouldn't go in the same sentence. It's too creepy. And the music you brought up is creepy. The police go on to say that adults were among those who reported seeing the clowns, all of whom ran before deputies arrived. So it's not clear if the sightings are related to another. I didn't think they could run in those big boots. Not the clowns, the kids. But, I mean, they were chasing the kids. That's the benefit is if you, you can always outrun a clown. Because they got the big shoes. Mmm. So clowns. Clowns. Just just keep an eye out. Watch out, folks. We'll take a break. It's the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
So good to have you with us. Happy Eat a Hoagie Day. Nothing better than a little hoagie. Let me just sit here and enjoy the one thing that makes me a little bit happy. This fresh, delicious, tasty, meaty, turkey-filled, cold-cut combo. (laughs) I eat three every day to help keep me strong. Nice commercial. You got to have a little hoagie today. It's eat a hoagie day and fill the burn. Feel the burn. It's also National Cream-Filled Donut Day. Mmm. Donuts. Mmm. You gotta love a good donut. Or a good cannoli. What else? Croissant. Mmm, a croissant. Holy cannoli. Holy cannoli. How about a cronut? Mmm. I do believe I am hungry. A, a, A Danish? You know, I had a Danish kind today. Kind of a, a bear claw? Crepe? Ooh, crepe. A maple bar? My wife refuses to say crepe. She says crepe. Oh, like the French. Drives me crazy. Crazy. Drives me crazy. Crepe. Hey, um, what a day. Uh, Colin Powell's emails were hacked into. And now a lot of secrets are coming out. Well, I don't know about secrets. Well, they're more just his personal thoughts on the yeah, current but, situation. Well, and on certain past situations. Yeah. Mm. We'll get to that fun and exciting news. Plus, of course, we will be talking about what I think is some of the greatest news in the world. Um, research suggests that being lazy is a sign of intelligence. Hmm. Is that not the coolest thing in the world? Is that not the coolest thing in the world? If you are lazy, you are now no longer lazy. You may be intelligent. I knew it. I knew it. I told my mom that I was just thinking. She's like, you got to move. They're always like, don't watch TV. You've been in here for six hours. I'm not done yet. There's more TV to watch. Mom, I'm thinking. Get off my back. So uh, if you enjoy spending time watching a little Netflix action, you may be a genius. Mm. A, a small percentage of you may. Oh. I, I've got some friends the that rest are, are just lazy. Are geniuses then. If yeah. that's the criteria to watch a lot of <sighs> Netflix. I knew it. I knew I was special. I've been telling my mom. So we'll be getting into that research. Are you lazy or are you just – is it just a sign of high intelligence? Mm, interesting stuff. Uh, they also tell us in the study that we might not want to overgeneralize it because it was really? a small sample. Oh. Yeah. But so, if you know you're special and you know you're intelligent and you like to just sit and watch Netflix to let your brain you know, process, then you probably are a genius. Yeah. Maybe. You're not just a lazy bum. <laughs> Even though you play one on television. So we'll be getting to that research, plus a lot of other headlines, crazy headlines. A lady delivers a baby on an airplane, for heaven's sakes. Again? I know. These ladies, did you not know you were about to have a baby? Um, We'll get to that. But the, the airline's taking care of her, which I think is setting a really bad precedent because it could make it so that all women want to deliver on an airline. Heaven forbid. We'll get to all that fun news, but first let's talk to Sadie Nelson, find out about the headlines around the country. Sadie? 
Donald Trump leads Hillary Clinton by five percentage points in a Bloomberg politics poll of Ohio, a gap that underscores underscores the Democrats' challenges in the critical Rust Belt states after one of the roughest stretches of her campaign. The Republican nominee leads Clinton 48 percent to 43 percent among likely voters in a two-way contest and 44 percent to 39 percent when third-party candidates are included. Police in North Carolina have reportedly arrested five people at a rally on Monday night for Donald Trump. Police also plan to arrest Richard Campbell of South Carolina, who allegedly punched 69-year-old Shirley Teeter in the face. Teeter reportedly fell on an oxygen tank she was carrying and has sore ribs, a sore jaw, and a cut on her elbow. A group of Russian hackers who go by the name Fancy Bear breached the World Anti-Doping Agency's database containing drug test results and medical information from the Rio Olympic athletes. Uh, WADA confirmed Tuesday. The group targeted American athletes, including tennis players Serena and Venus Williams and gymnast Simone Biles. Uh, in a statement Tuesday, they said that the athletes have not taken any uh, drugs and did not violate any anti-doping rules against the Olympic Games. And finally, yes, a man whose YouTube channel is dedicated to covering various objects in tape took it to the next level by covering his parents' home in 60 miles Miles of clear tape. <laughs> Jonathan Harchick, who, who, whose humor, dry humored Let's Tape It videos have been featured on Com- Comedy Central's Toss.0, says his latest YouTube video, uh, his parents asked him to watch their house while they were out of town for a few days. He said, so let's tape it. Him and a helper used 1,000 rolls of tape, totaling about 60 miles to cover the house in clear tape. Wow. Really? He's probably a genius. Taping is the new uh, teeping. I suppose. Taping is the new TPing. Taping is the new vaping. No, the taping no. is the old vaping, just but the new TPing. I wish. Man, thanks, Sadie. What do people? I guess he's probably another genius because he's just instead of going to waste time At watching Netflix. Yeah, he's out taping someone's house. The problem with taping someone's house is that you leave a, a, a sticky residue. Mm. You know, it's all fun and games. And, and you probably think, in his mind, it, play, it would play out differently than it actually did when his parents came home. <laughs> right. Like, they're going to love this. Then oh, my wait. parents are going to laugh so hard, I'm telling you. Why don't you guys support my job? I have an, I'm employed. <laughs> Do you guys not understand? I have a career. Come how on. much money I'm making doing this? So um, we, you know, Colin Powell is, he's apparently in his emails really frustrated with Hillary Clinton, who keeps trying to hang her email problem on his advice. Yes. Because he, back in the day, had his own private email account that he held through AOL. Yeah. He never had his own server. No. And this was back in the AOL days when that was the hot thing. You have mail. Right past, was it post-Netscape? Yes. Or pre-Netscape? I don't know how it all worked. And, uh... Anyway, some Russian hackers, Guccifer, I think it was, 2.0 or whatever, hacked into the system. Who's in jail. Who's now in jail. Somehow he's hacking from jail. Hey, can I borrow your laptop? So he ends up releasing these emails, and the emails show that Colin Powell is really frustrated by Hillary, who keeps trying to hang this on him. And in fact, he met with Cheryl Mills to basically say, don't hang this on me. Don't try to hang this on me. And yet they do. And plus, you know, there's other things. He even, he, I guess, let out of the bag that the Clintons don't necessarily like Obama. 
at all. And she'll probably get in. And when she gets into office, she'll basically blow up his legacy immediately. (laughs) Crazy. Now, this is the great general, Mm -hmm. right, that was just impenetrable. And now he's got people hacking his email left and right. And Hillary's like, see, it's easy. And this is why he didn't want to be involved in politics. Exactly. Because this stuff drives him nuts. Keep me out of this. So anyway, that's uh, that's got to be fun. Donald Trump's going to appear on the Dr. Oz show. He is. Which, uh, you know, that's going to be interesting. Let me get this straight. Dr. Oz mm-hmm. and Donald Trump. Yes. To discuss Donald Trump's latest physical and the medical findings from that. Right. He says he, uh, Dr. Oz says he's going to ask pointed questions. Pointed questions. Of course, only topics that Donald Trump wants to talk about, but pointed nonetheless. But it'll be totally pointed. And you know Donald will open up. He's got nothing to hide about his physical health, right? Right. When I heard that, I thought they had said Dr. Phil, and I had to do a double take. But, yeah. I mean, isn't Dr. Oz kind of He's a surgeon. getting to be like Dr. Phil a little? He kind of is, yeah. He, he keeps... is. He's promoting products that are found to have no health benefit whatsoever or to be just completely fraudulent. But uh, that's fine. He keeps promoting and keeps moving on. But, you know, but he didn't have anything to do with Trump's steak. No. That's Trump's problems. Trump water, Trump vodka, Trump university. So that'll be an interesting interview. You're going to want to make sure you uh, TiVo that. Catch that later tonight. If you want. <laughs> um, apparently Dancing with the Stars was on the last few days. I don't know. But uh, I didn't hear much about Rick Perry. I'm wondering how he's doing. I read somewhere that he uh, he danced the cha-cha. Pardon? The cha-cha. The cha-cha. Apparently it's a dance. <laughs> okay. The cha-cha. Yeah. yeah. How did he do with the cha-cha? I'm not sure. I don't know if our... You re- know. I don't know if our reporter who was assigned to watch the show... We'll have to go check into Who's, that. I think reading a history book at the moment. Yeah. Um, and still not acknowledging that we're talking about her. I don't know if she actually watched the show or not, so we'll have to check in with her later. Um, let's do this. If you were to climb, have you ever bungee jumped? Uh, no. To me, it's something. I, I climbed a bungee tower and went, nah. I'm not interested this. in doing. <laughs> I'm not ever going to do it. Um, but a, a man attempted the highest bungee jump in the world. Mm. Right. So he's in uh, South Africa at the time, and he was just there on the trip of a lifetime. An Irishman's experience on the world's highest bungee jump resulted in a very valuable lesson. There's a valuable lesson. And those are the lessons we want to teach you here on the Matt Townsend Show. When you bungee jump, always empty your pockets before you jump. Good tip. He jumps off. Uh, he did hold his GoPro camera during the jump, but forgot to take his cell phone out of his pocket. And the video of his jump shows his cell phone slide out of his pocket and just destroyed. There's audio from the scene. Mm. That was one of the hardest gets was to get the audio of his phone slipping out. But that's the exact reaction that any person in the world would have. Yeah. No. That's funny. It sounded familiar to That me. sounded more like Yoda the way you were doing it. Thank you. Yoda did, yes. Mm-hmm. Is uh, So A, I wouldn't do it. B, if you're going to do it. Empty your pockets. Empty your pockets. You know you're supposed to put your phone in your sock. That probably wouldn't work out well either. Your socks you aren't probably want to anywhere. leave your phone with someone you trust. That's the problem. 
Who would that be? Hopefully you're with somebody when you're doing this. But you don't want you, to do this solo. You also think you'd want pictures of this event. So you'd leave the phone with somebody that's going to take pictures. You would hope. Yeah. Unless you're trying to take – see, he wasn't even trying to take pictures while he did this. It was just in his pocket. It was just in his pocket. Fill out. I mean, you also wonder how many people on the ground were impaled by pennies and <laughs> <laughs> in a cell phone. What's going on? But he managed to hold on to his GoPro stick. Yeah. You have to have your GoPro stick, your selfie stick, as you're falling. Yeah. Always check your pockets. Yep. Crazy story uh, on Cebu Pacific Airplane gets uh, a baby's born. I mean, you're flying on the – imagine you're just in coach. Mm. And all of a sudden you hear a lady. You're like, uh-oh. Oh, boy. You're not going to deliver now, are so you? So not only am I, in, am I in coach on a flight that's probably six hours long. In the middle seat. Now halfway through, all of a sudden a screaming kid. Yeah. The, the woman on your right <laughs> near the window is now going to deliver a baby. The flight began kid-free, now a kid. <laughs> this is Zena crazy. start punching my seat again? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, the, the baby was born four hours into the flight from Dubai to Manila. A baby girl, Haven, has been gifted one million air miles. Huh. Air mile points. One million because this cute little baby was born on the airplane. One million dollars. Uh, one million air mile points. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Haven's mom went into labor more than five weeks early. That's the surpriser right there. Ah. Uh. You know, because she probably, you know, wouldn't have done it otherwise. That's why they say don't fly on an airplane at 35 weeks. Good point. And remember, when you're having a baby, empty your pockets. <laughs> Probably a good tip. Empty your pockets and give someone the cell phone to video the entire event. Ooh. The uh, the baby was um, – the airplane's operated by Philippines carrier Cebu Pacific and the baby was born on August 14th. Luckily, two nurses were among the passengers and they helped to deliver um, the baby in the cabin crew hmm. as the pilot diverted the plane to India. That'll which, fix it. You know the mom was like, not India. No, 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 no. How about Pakistan? Ah! So now, can this child ever become president of the United States? I don't think so. Is this like an international waters thing where it's – I don't think not, they're from the United yeah, States. Yeah, the mom wasn't from the United States. But oh. that is a good good question. If the, well, they would, the baby – if the mom was a citizen, the baby would be a citizen. Okay. Because yeah. so. the air – but they yeah. uh, they can apparently be the president of uh, the Cebu Pacific Airline. Yeah, because they were. If you're born on an airplane, or at least an honorary pilot. Yeah, yeah. They uh, better be careful about handing out those airline points willy nilly like they, that. It's setting a dangerous precedent. I mean, what is every airline just going to start handing out a million points? Terry and his wife should take a flight right now. They, if they were smart, they'd do nothing but fly for the next few weeks. Anyway, interesting stuff. Interesting, interesting stuff. Lucky little baby. By the way, the mom or dad, anyone in the family now can use those points thanks to cute little Haven. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be speaking on the interesting topic about uh, new research on laziness. It may be a sign of intelligence, or at least that's what you can claim. We'll take a break. Stick with us. Today's episode of the Matt Townsend Show is brought to you by Cronuts. Cronuts, so good, you'll step over a dead body to get one. 
over 40 years, Airborne Airlines has repeatedly been your top choice for traveling for vacations, weddings, and graduations. We would like to thank you for sharing your most precious and intimate moments with us. So, for the next nine months, we're giving away 1 million air mile points to every baby born on inbound Airborne Airlines flights. Ask your doctor for details. No inducements, castor oil, or midwives are allowed. Minimum drink purchase required. Must not be combined with any other offer. Airborne Airlines, welcoming you aboard and into the world. Have you or a loved one ever been arrested for excessive belching? Hi, I'm Wally Salzman. The government may not want you to know this, but you have rights, especially the right to release gastric air whenever and wherever you choose. And what if you simply cannot hold it in? Folks, Hundreds of people suffer every year with this offensive problem. Just ask Dr. T.J. Snell. Not a real doctor. Excessive and bothersome belching is a common symptom, which is often seen in patients with functional dyspepsia and gastro reflux disease. I'm Wally Salzman, and I wrote the book on winning settlements in burp-related lawsuits. Just ask my client, Phyllis Goma. Wally Salzman wrote the book on winning settlements and burp-related lawsuits. Or Barney Van Houten, who was arrested for burping in class while trying to ask a question about an upcoming test. I learned I was suffering from aerophagia. Wally Salzman got me 1.2 million and my dignity. Folks, I'm not only a gastric litigation expert, but I'm also a former victim of an unlawful belch arrest. So... Good golly, call Wally, and you'll never have to live in fear again. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, do you enjoy spending time watching Netflix? You prefer the great indoors instead of the great outdoors? Well, maybe that's just a sign that you're smarter than you think. By the way, a theory I've been uh, believing in my entire life, Dr. Todd McElroy conducted a study that suggested being lazy is a sign of high intelligence, and we're excited to have him. Dr. McElroy, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Show. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me on the show. You bet. Great to have you here. You, by the way, are a psychology professor at Florida Gulf Coast. And um, walk us through your study. This, uh, I, I mean, I, I know one of the caveats of your study is because it was a smaller group, we may not want to make major generalizations here. But talk to us. Is it true that uh, maybe the seeming a little more lazy is really a sign of higher intelligence? Well, it, that's certainly one interpretation that you could take from the study, but let me tell you what we did. Um, what we did was we got two groups of people. We selected them uh, from people who enjoy and like to think, those people who you know, really enjoy those deep cognitive efforts, and those people who don't like to think, and they're just really not into that cognitive thinking. And so we brought them into the lab, and we put a, these actigraph devices on their wrists, which measures their physical bodily movements. So it takes these, uh, has an internal gyro that takes these body movements about every 30 seconds. So this gives us a good measure of their physical activity. So we followed these two separate groups for uh, one week 
brought them back into the lab and got these measures of their uh, physical activity levels. And what we found is that those people who really enjoy cognitive effort, who really like to think, actually had much lower uh, physical activity levels than those people who do not like to think. Hmm. Wow. Is it is it just that they just move less um, or is it that they they are just less active overall in the day? Does that make well, that's sense? An interesting. Yeah, yeah. Actually, what we're doing is we're just simply measuring their gross physical activity level. You might think of how much you're actually doing, burning calories and that sort of thing, how much your body's actually moving around. Hmm. And that that's that's what we're looking at here. Did it, uh, I guess, is it, uh, and then you could attribute it to, did you attribute it actually to IQ or just to their their love of thinking and their, their you know, their cognitions, their desire to be thinking? It, this is this is different than IQ, although it is correlated, but it's something different. It's this we use a psychometric tool to measure this thing that we call enjoyment or uh, people who really love to sing, people who who you know just get involved in it. You know, they they come up with this algebra problem and you know they they enjoy working it out. And uh, those people we would say are high in need for cognition and. The um, the other group are those people who, you know, one of their worst nightmares is having to work through a problem, you know, and they just really do not enjoy it. <laughs> That's so interesting. Is it? Um, I, and I guess this is just a natural thing. I mean, it almost it just reminds me of high school again, where you you have the the real the the thinkers, the the people that are you know um, the top of the class, uh, you know the. I guess the valedictorian type that maybe isn't on the team. They're not on the teams. They're not as active socially. They're kind of in the library reading. Is it? Is this what we're learning? Is is that there's something about people that like to to get into their head and think that might be uh, that might separate their activity levels from those that simply just love to be busy. Yeah, exactly. And, you you know, you can almost see it play out as this interchange between, you know, you can either spend your effort, your energy thinking, or you can spend your effort and your energy moving your physical body around. And so, you know, you're probably going to be doing one of the two. What what got you interested in this topic? Well, actually, myself, it sounds rather hedonistic, but but uh, what I was working with a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. David Dickinson, on a, on a very unrelated study looking at sleep, and and when we do sleep, we have people wear these actigraphy devices, and um, so we were just trying the devices out one day, and before we started running, you know, large groups of people because it's very expensive and laborious, so we were both trying them out and. I consider myself to be someone who, you know, exercises, and, you know, I'd say I was physically active. You know, I go to the gym like six days a week and, mm. you know, do the typical 45-minute thing. And, and so I, I, I basically, uh, you know, just watch myself for a week, come back in the lab, and I was really quite, I was really quite perplexed because I had very low physical activity levels. <laughs> And I was like, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm physically active. I go to the gym, I, you know, almost every day. And then what, it, what I came to notice is that I was just flatlined through most of the day. And then all of a sudden you'd see this big spike when I went to the gym. But, uh, 
what I began to realize is that, you know, I'm a professor. I'm somebody who really enjoys. I mean, that's what I do. I love to think. And right. I was like, you know, if you look, I'm only thinking about that one time in which I went to the gym. I'm not thinking about the other 98% of the day where I'm just sitting there thinking and working on a, you know, a formula or whatever I'm doing. And so from there, you know, I started thinking, well, maybe it's something about this people who enjoy and love to think aren't really as physically active as those who don't. And so from there went the study. We ran a pilot study, found very much uh, what we found in this uh, larger study, and then we then ran the study that you see today. Do you sense that uh, – because I, I, some of my best thinking is when I'm exercising or on a walk or doing some physical activity, is, is your activity, does it impact your ability to think? Um, you know, I think that depends upon how you're thinking, and there's good research to show this. Uh, research, research looking at this has shown that whenever you're physically active or you're exercising or something like that, that can distract you. So you have your, you know, your conscious, thoughtful mind is, is distracted whenever you're exercising, and this sort of allows your unconscious to, you know, sort of interject more and things mm. like that. And so. It's a time of, you know, good time to be creative, I think, is a good way of saying it. Um, but also, you know, if you're at the gym or whatever, you've got a lot of distractions. And so if you're trying to think about some higher math problem or something that's really complex, then that's probably not a good time to be working on it. That's so true, isn't it? Is, um, as you, where do you sense that you're going to take the research now? Um, well, basically, we're, we are... Uh, working in two directions. Um, the follow-up to this study is to actually go out and look and see if what these people are doing in terms of physical activity. That is to say, these people who are low in need for cognition, who don't like to think, we, we don't know what they're doing. I mean, we know that, you know, physically, at a physiological basic level, they are, you know, more active, but we don't know what they're doing. So we're going to go look and see what they're actually doing, follow them over the course of a day or so and uh, see what they do. And same for the high thinkers, you know, what is it that they are doing or not doing? Yeah. yeah. I wonder, as I listen to it, it reminds me of learning styles, you know, multiple intelligence theories that um, there's some people that just like solo activities, some like more social, some need to be physiologically involved. Uh, and, and I wonder if how much of this is just about how we're using our intelligence. Yeah, it, Certainly it could be. It's, it's, it's almost, you see this, almost what we call it a compensatory model where, you know, you've got so much uh, to use, you know, and the question is how do you use it? You know, do you apply it, you know, mentally or do you apply it more physically? You know, how are you using these different things? So you've got a certain amount of energy, you know, how, how do you apply it? Yeah, that's, I think, I, I guess that's that's the key is how, is how you apply it. One of the the wonders I have is, I mean, this might make sense as to why certain people that need to be moving more, that need to, like, stay physically active, maybe they choose jobs that are, you know, less professorial, more let's get let's get out and get, you know, get out and maybe do more manual labor, more blue-collar jobs. Yeah, good point. And that's, that's, you know, one thing that we really hope that this article hits home on is awareness, you know. It, you, you may be like me thinking, the, you know, hey, I'm 
physically active, but in reality, I, I am a thinker. You know, I sit on my butt in a desk, you know, thinking most of the time. And, I, you know, that simple awareness is really kicked in with me. I'll get up and walk or get up and move and do something more now. So it's really the hmm. awareness, you know. Yeah, I mean, that. I guess if you are a thinker, you, you still need to be active. So you might need to more consciously go after creating activity. Um, and, you know, maybe there's also times in, you know, somebody whose job is maybe more out servicing equipment or whatever, maybe they constantly are active. They might also need some downtime to make sure that they're thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's, uh, you know, it is a trade-off, you know, it's between, you know, how you're applying your energy or you, you know, if you're physically laborious all the time, maybe you should take some time out and just, you know, give yourself some thoughtful experience. And and same holds true for someone who's thinking all the time. Maybe they should take some time out and, you know, give physical activity a chance. Mm. One of the things you found in your study, too, is that on weekends, both groups were more sedentary. What was that about? Yeah. That that's that's one of the most fascinating aspects of this. What we found is that on Saturday they came they were almost the same and by Sunday they both groups were pretty much the same. That's another thing that we're going to examine in our follow-up study. We didn't know what to attribute this to. There, there are two, well, seemingly only two possibilities. One is that, you know, the the weekend is just the time in which everyone sort of recoups and rests, and so you're going to have, you know, just this sort of baseline of physical activity, and everybody's pretty much the same. The other more interesting uh, hypothesis that we're looking into is that, you know, people are matched up quite often with people of different uh, loves for thinking. So, you know, you get together with the person that you're with, and maybe they don't like to think, but you like to think. And it really doesn't matter because you're both together, so you're both kind of being at the same physical activity level. So people are, yeah, people are engaged, engaged with other people more on the weekends, so they tend to, you know, do whatever the other person's doing. So that's the more interesting hypothesis. Yeah, you kind of normalize, I guess, your each other's behavior, so you create an average. Yeah, exactly. You're sort of canceling out any of the effects. Interesting stuff. Is it... Um, because, see, sometimes it seems like in marriages and relationships, you have one person that's the thinker and the other person that's kind of the doer. <laughs> and one's the, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, so in a way, I guess you do balance it out, but you also cause a lot of divorces. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and preface that by saying that I'm definitely the doer. And so my, my wife, who may be listening, will know that, you know, she is definitely the thinker. So, is she? Um <laughs> that's smart smart so, um, keep it that way do, do you worry do you worry in the research that uh we might i mean like i love the idea that watching netflix may just make me intelligent um <laughs> that's how i like to look at the data but is it i mean do you worry that we might be labeling them in the end or um or, or just that we might be sending a message that maybe if you're a thinker you don't need to be as active yeah, I, I do think that there is a, a message to this that can definitely misconstrue what's going on. Uh, there's, we have no evidence to suggest that you know being lazy will make you more intelligent. That that's <laughs> implying causation that you know right. definitely not there in this study. Um, these need for cognition things are robust. They're 
pretty much solid throughout a person's life. And so I guess the real take-home message is, you know, just simply awareness. And uh, it's worked for some of us in the lab, is just simply being aware that, you know, gosh, you think you're physically active, but if you just are mindful, what you'll see is you're doing a lot of time sitting around and not moving, you know, because you are thinking. And yeah. that's, that's really sort of what we hope to relay. That's great. Great insight. Well, Dr. Todd McElroy, thank you so much for your research and your time uh, with us today. We appreciate it. We will take a break, folks. Again, it's not, it's not an excuse for you, but some people have a different need to think and uh, others to be active. And so just be aware. Awareness 101. That's the beginning. We'll take a break. When we come back, do a little Coach's Corner for you. Plus, Leanna Tan will be uh, addressing fantasy sports in one of her little tantrums. Well, tangents, I tangents. guess we're going to call it. Uh, sometimes we call them tantrums around the office. Anyway, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Well, with the kids going back to school, it's time to see if we can restart their brains again. Have you ever wondered, uh, as you ask your child a question, so, Timmy, how did school go? I don't know. What? What do you think of this? Mm-hmm. Use your words, Timmy. Sometimes we wonder about our children and do they actually know how to think for themselves? Do they know how to get their brains engaged? And I wonder, too, if sometimes it's our parenting that might be impeding our child's ability to do their own thinking. Because if Timmy doesn't know, we'll quickly give him the answer so we can move on to the next assignment. And as we talk about uh, earlier, we were talking about the fact that Maybe it seems like that somebody's being lazy, but they really might be thinking. And it might be also, too, that sometimes your children are thinking. They're just not processing. They're not processing as quickly as you would like them to. So then you jump in and answer the question for them. And then they quickly learn, eh, I guess I don't need to actually think because my mom or dad will do it for me. So I wanted to put together some lessons for all of us about how we can help jumpstart our child's learning and make sure that they get into a, a lifelong learning process and and understand that life is about learning, kids. So here's some tips for you as parents. Um, rule number one, identify your child's learning style. I mentioned it in the earlier inter- interview that every one of us, uh, according to research on learning styles, has a different way in which we like to learn, we like to access knowledge and information. Some of us are verbal learners. We prefer using words. Uh, both in speech and writing. The verbal uh, might also want to listen and hear. Um, You know, I I love, I'm probably a verbal learner. I like, I learn by speaking, by teaching. I learn by listening. And so that helps me. Some are visual learners. They prefer using pictures, images, spatial understanding. A visual person would be the child that knows exactly where they can put that their nightstand and it fits perfectly into this one little nook. They're just so visual. Some of us are physical learners. We prefer by using our body, our hands, our sense of touch. Some of us are logic. We need logic. We need reasoning. We need systems. Those might be the kids that are regularly asking you why. Why do we do it that way, Dad? Why? Why that way? 
Uh, some are social learners. They prefer to learn in groups or with other people. Some are solitary learners. They prefer to work alone. If you want to understand how to help your child become a lifelong learner, then pay attention to the way in which they learn. It might be different than the way you learn, and it might be one of the reasons why you struggle with one child over another child, maybe why you're not able to impact that child as much. If they're a visual person, if they're a verbal person, if they are a physical person, you need to learn it. You need to understand that. Would they rather learn in groups or by themselves? If you have a child that is a solitary learner, they may be fine sitting there all day by themselves reading a book. Well, you really need to get out and socialize. Sure, okay. Except it may not maximize their learning. So identify their style and uh, work with them. Talk to them. Teach them a little bit more about it. If your one spouse is better at uh, logical than you are, then let that logical spouse try to teach and coach and mentor their child um, into that approach. Another tool you can use to get your children owning their own learning is to let them answer questions themselves. When a child asks a question, answer the question with a question. Now, you remember how bad that used to be. Mom, what's four times four? I don't know, Timmy. What do you think four times four is? But answering a question with a question, it could be something as simple as interesting. That's a wow. That's a really great question. Now, before I give you my ideas, help me understand what got you to this point. Where where have you already thought this through? And try to figure out more what they what they have talked about, what they are working on in their head. Don't just assume they're blindly coming at it, even though many times they might be. Instead, help them teach you what they already know. And if you put the onus on them, you will probably notice that they're going to think a lot of it through before you come back with the question. Be careful, though. You don't want to drive your child away simply by always asking a question to make them answer but really show sincere intent that I want, to, I want to think how you're thinking. I want to see where your brain has gone as you've tried to figure this problem out yourself. What have you already thought through? Another powerful tool I've learned with my kids is to th- teach the art of brainstorming. Um, there really could be 50 answers, right, to any one question. Most of us know one, maybe two answers to the question. Um, But if you could sit down and teach your child to brainstorm through and come up with multiple solutions, it's a pretty powerful thing. Let's say your child came to you and they're frustrated because they they can't make their bed in the morning. They just can't remember to do it. They don't do it. They don't remember it. They don't like it. Great. Instead of just telling them to do it, you might want to sit down with them and say, let's brainstorm some ways that we can get this bed made. Okay? And just come up with some ways. For example... One way is that we could just all agree that we're never going to make the bed again, right? And the child will be like, perfect. Or another idea is we could just have mom do it every morning. Okay, we're just brainstorming. We're not going to take any of these, but that's another option. Another thing you could do is take your allowance and pay your brother to make your bed. He seems to do a good job, and he likes money. Maybe what we could do is get rid of all of your sheets on your bed so you're just sleeping on a mattress. That way you don't have to make it. Okay. Or we have to, maybe we shouldn't, we should just make it once and just sleep on top of it. Just sleep on top of the bed and just start showing your child. There's a million ways that we can deal with this solution, this problem. Let's just not sleep. Maybe what we could do is not sleep. Maybe what you could do, Timmy, is sleep in the bathtub instead of in the bed. Maybe you could sleep in a sleeping bag. 
Maybe you could just get up and make your bed every morning. Maybe you could sleep with just a comforter on top, not a sheet. So it's just a comforter. You just got to throw the comforter back up. There are a hundred answers, and some of them matter, some of them don't, but allow every idea in because as we do, guess what's going to happen? It's going to allow us to stretch our child's brain, and we're going to show them that as a team, we can come up with some solution. And then out of the brainstorm, let them find one or two ways that that work for them. Another thing you could do that would really help your kids start uh, to share and, and know that they have to think is ask for their opinion. You know, if you pull up to a situation and you're at the Home Depot store and you're about to purchase something and you don't know how you're going to get the lawnmower home, you might want to ask your child's opinion. Holy cow, Timmy, we got to get this lawnmower home. What do you think we should do? And let the child start to help you figure out solutions instead of just playing on their phone or waiting for you to hurry. Let them become part of the solution with you by simply asking for their opinion. At first, they won't know what you're doing. They're going to think you're trying to trick them, but in the end, it's going to help. Another tool is give them opportunities to teach. One of the best ways you can have somebody uh, basically forced into learning is the fact that they got to teach. That's what they do in med school. The model is see one, do one, teach one. Every med student's going to see it being done. They're going to do it do the activity, and they're going to then teach another person how to do it. Instead of you answering all of your children's questions on their homework assignment, maybe choose another child from the family to come over and help tutor, to help teach the child that math process that this child may have learned a few years earlier. Let your children teach more. When they come home, ask them to teach one thing that they learned at school today. And last but not least, make it a point to your children that they need to learn to learn their way out of problems. Life, we have never had more information at our fingertips than right now. And if I could understand that, okay, we've got a problem, we've got to learn a way to get and handle this problem, and we're going to have to figure out the solution. Um, Whatever the problem is, we can always learn it. We've got Google. We've got YouTube. We've got TED.com. We've got Wikipedia. We have a lot of sites, a lot of resources that our children could turn to to help them find solutions. If you don't know how to take your baseboards off at your home, then let's take our child and let's go figure it out with them. And let's start teaching our children that learning is something that will never go away. It is something that's going to be permanent, and hopefully um, it's going to give them a huge advantage in life. Think about the child that knows how to learn and has confidence in learning. Then they can pretty much handle any issue. So there's some tools, some tricks from the coach's corner on how to uh, help your children love thinking for themselves. It's a good day. It's a good day. Now what we're going to do is go take a break. Actually, no, we're not. We're going to go straight to Leanna Tan. Um, we we like to have Leanna go dive into the deeper issues of life. And one of the things we wanted to focus on because it's so popular is this fantasy football. How many times do you see fantasy football taking the, over the lives of so many people? So here's Leanna Tan taking an in-depth look at fantasy football. Spent the weekend sitting in front of a jumbo TV, eating nacho dip and barbecue, strutting my college gear, and cheering with my friends. Football season has begun, and with it comes a lot of fanatics. I overheard my coworkers talking about fantasy sports. Are you crazy? My little pony. 
thought they might be going insane. All the ponies in this town are crazy! My idea of fantasy sports includes wizards, dragons, and sorcery. Come on, how bad can it be? My first thought was, maybe my co-workers are more into reenacting Quidditch games than they are into watching actual games. Oh no, 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 no! My second thought was, Maybe they're so obsessed with watching sports that they start hallucinating sporting events when their Wi-Fi streaming goes down or cable gets cut. That's so not true! In my concern for my coworkers' mental well-being, I decided to dig a little deeper and figure out what exactly fantasy sports actually are. It's like faux football, by the way. Fake. Well, I know nothing about fantasy sports or what it is, so I found a guru in all things fantasy sport. David Boyle. And just, you know, so we have your credentials. Have you ever won? Uh, last year, I actually won both the leagues that I was in, and I won $300 in doing so. From where? It was $50 to enter the league, so we each put in $50, and then first place got $300. And that's why we're interviewing you. This is fantastic. I know. Friend. Let's I'm do impressed. It. Come on. So, David, what are fantasy sports? It's keeping track of statistics of individual players and then applying those individual players to a made-up or fantasy team. And then those points go towards uh, other matchups against other teams. I'm not going to lie. If you just made all that up, that was some really good improv. So this has nothing to do with unicorns or wizards? No. That's so funny, I forgot to laugh! Do you ever dress up or anything for these games? Fantasy? Never, never, never! Uh, I wear a jersey, you know, so that could be part of the fantasy that I'm like a part of the, yeah, that I'm a player. Okay. I think that's a lot of why it's so popular. All these middle-aged men, they want to be like GMs or like owners of a team. And this is as close as they'll get. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Mm, That sounds like a sad life, but, um, I mean, to each his own, how much of your time does this consume? Embarrassingly a lot. I probably spend like four hours during the week just like researching, reading articles, like looking stuff up. Oh, I've wasted my life. Do you ever think like, man, I could be doing community service. I could be changing the world right now, but I'm playing fantasy sports. Uh, You know, that does cross my mind from time to time. But, you know, fantasy is magic. And if I can become magical, then I can change the world. So that's my number one focus right now. Don't think this changes anything. And what what kind of prizes do they offer? Bragging rights amongst your friends, which is important. Watch out, because next year I'm going to be the one making fun of you. Didn't you say you were embarrassed to be on this segment? No, I just said I didn't want you to use my name. (laughs) David Boyle. We have David (laughs) Boyle here. We've got Dodson here. Nobody cares. What advice do you have for people that want to do fantasy sports and how can they win? Uh, My advice to people that want to do fantasy sports is, A, to find another hobby. That's a really good idea. But B, I would say a, a really important part of fantasy sports, this is probably the most important part, is coming up with a name for your team. What's your name, dude? A lot of people, they do uh, puns based on, like, player names. So my team name is Memoirs of Marshawn, after Marshawn Lynch, who is a former football player now. There's another, it's Remember uh, Harambe. What kind of stupid name is that? Who's not a football player. He's a former gorilla. gorilla. God rest his soul. What should I call my fantasy sport team? 
So there's a running back for the Kansas City Chiefs named Jamal. And since I know you're such a big fan of Pokemon, you should be Gotta Catch Jamal. Oh, that's a good one. Can you put tan in there? Tan? Let me think. First and tan? Because, like, first and ten. Wrong. Well, there you have it. You know, I was actually slightly disappointed. I thought it would have been highly entertaining to picture my coworkers playing sports in capes and wands. I know, it's going to be so awesome! My little pony, my little pony, my little pony tail. Not quite as epic as I thought it would be, but hey, a quick way to burn through 50 bucks and a great coping mechanism this football season when your favorite team doesn't win. I am not spending the rest of my life with a loser. I wish you all the best of luck. Happy fantasizing. Well, I'm Liana Tan. And that's my little tangent. My little pony, my little pony, my little pony tail. My little pony, my little pony, my little pony tail. Billy, where's Goldie? I put him in the lake. What could go wrong? Descending Fisher. It's at least 200 feet, Novak. <laughs> Sam? Something bit me! Sam, what are you seeing down there? It's like this body's been in the water for weeks. I want to know what this thing is doing in my lake. Goldfish hunt in packs. The first bite draws blood. The blood draws the pack. This Christmas. Little Goldie's out of his bag. Now he's out for revenge. Goldie, this ends now. Goldie, the goldfish the size of a football. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. And a happy Eat a Hoagie Day. A day that many times is overlooked. Visualize a magical time where everything is freshly made. Where it's plain to see mm. the quality is the order of the day. Yeah. Where lettuce leaves are crisp and green. I love the Hoagie song. It's so underplayed. It is. I think overall the hoagie's underrated. It is it's so full of wonderful vitamins, vitamins and minerals. Right. It's crammed with goodness. Mm. You're going to go get a sandwich. I aren't totally you? am. It's also National Cream Filled Donut Day. Would you kindly pass me a donut? Donut. What's a donut? What's a donut? It's a little piece of heaven. A cronut. It's worth stepping over a body for. Uh, that's what we learned last week in New York when mm-hmm. that happened, yeah. Today's episode of the Matt Townsend Show is brought to you by Cronuts. Cronuts. So good, you'll step over a dead body to get one. Wow. It's so great. That's such a great ad, and it's they're now sponsors of the program. That's great to hear. I mean, it's... It's cronuts, for heaven's sakes. The reach of this show has no bounds. We still have not tried one, have we? I've no. never had one. No. I'm going to guess it tastes like a donut. It seems like it's something Flaky our producer though. should make sure we've done. 
See she said she'll get some. Wow. She just gave us thumbs up. Sadie Nielsen just gave us thumbs up on the cronut. Glad that's the digit she used. That's right. She had so many to choose from. She chose the right. <laughs> Always choose the right, Sadie. Let's, uh, in fact, get to Sadie with the headlines, find out what's going to be on the, I mean, in the headlines, and then we'll come back and get to the show. Sadie, what's up? Donald Trump is set to reveal the results of a recent medical exam on the Dr. Oz show. The GOP candidate has promised the segment with Dr. Oz, which will be taped on Wednesday and air on Thursday, will include very, very specific numbers from his physical. But in a radio interview, Oz downplayed the possibility of any revelations about Trump's health. When he said, while he said he intends to ask Trump pointed questions, Oz confirmed it will remain Trump's decision as to what specifics are released. The Obama administration is upping aid to Israel as part of the largest pledge of military assistance in U.S. history. Israel is set to get about $38 billion over 10 years, according to congressional and administration sources, up from the approximately $30 billion decade-long deal that expires in 2018. The agreement will be signed Wednesday at the State Department. For the first time in two, since 2007, the median household income in America rose last year. The median income in 2015 was $56,516, the Census Bureau reported Tuesday, marking a 5.2 increase from 2014. Census officials will uh, attributed most of that jump to increased levels of employment as an additional 2.5 Americans found full-time year-round jobs, the Associated Press reports. And finally, yes. um, Matt, do you have any pets? No. <laughs> no. But if you did have pets, would you love them and yes, treat them well? With all of my heart. Okay. Well, there's a story about a woman in Australia who paid hundreds of dollars to save her pet goldfish's life. A goldfish? Yes. After it swallowed a pebble. That forgot what you did for it a second how later. Did, how does she know it swallowed a pebble? Um, It wasn't breathing. Apparently, it was going belling up, but she could oh, see boy. it lodged. She could see it. So, um, a 372 surgical procedure was performed. Are you serious? <laughs> On the goldfish. Um, his name is Conker. Wow. The goldfish, his name's Conker, ironically. And he was put in a tank to recover for a day before being sent home after the surgery. It should have, he should have been named Choker. Yeah. I think they're coming out with a movie for that. It's oh, really? Frankenfish. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they had to reconstruct had to him re- a little bit. We can. The bionic. I'll have to see if I can find the, that. Uh, bi- the bionic. We uh, have the technology. We can fix him. Man, Sadie, thanks. That's... Wow. Conquer. How much money do you, are you going to spend on a goldfish? Well, I think you, to buy the goldfish, you pay a dollar or less. So if you spend more than you bought the animal for. I could. I, I love my animals 10 times their value. Really? Okay. So I would probably love it my family $10 had, My worth? family had that conversation when my pet, when I was a kid, a dog got cancer. Oh, yeah, that's hard. And then uh, we went and I, I, I asked I, – we're sitting there and I asked – I was in high school. I asked my father, um, how far do we go with this? This could get expensive. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, let's take care of it. I'm like, all right. We go as far as it takes, Terry. And so I go down to the doctor to pick up the, my dog after the surgery. Happened to be the day I had to get my brakes replaced on my truck. Oh, boy. I paid for the, the dog at the vet. And my dad paid for the the brakes on my truck, and we called it even. Really? Because it was the exact same price. (laughs) That's a lot of – see, but this is a goldfish, and it seems like if it's choking on a pebble, Hmm. you just need to do the Heimlich maneuver. Well, on a fish? Yeah. Just get behind it. (laughs) 
wrap your hands around it. Make sure you're you're underneath the rib cage, right. just above the belly button. Do they have ribs? Find the fish's belly button. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had fish? Those little thin bones. Find the, the hard part with the goldfish is finding the belly button. Mm. And then it is key. Then, but like I think you put like three fingers above the belly button, Would and they then ha- invert your fish, and think- then pull in and up, in and up. Okay. What if it's an Audi though? Well, an Audi belly button. That's fine. Then it's easier to find. <laughs> just just do the little Heimlich on it two or three times, and if that doesn't kill your fish, mm. pretty sure the pebbles flying out. Nice. It's a good rule. I'm not a vet, but I am a doctor. So you taught, taught you us to how play to one do on TV. Goldfish yes. Heimlich maneuver. Yep. Don't have GoPro cameras and phones and stuff yeah. in your pocket when you go bungee cord. Whenever jumping. you go bungee cord empty jumping, your empty your pockets. Wow, so many things we learned on this the show today. This has been a productive morning. These yeah. are the lessons that no other show ever puts together. Mm. They'll just let you. What well, they'll let your goldfish die, but not me. I want to save that little fish. The neat thing about a goldfish too is that they're kind of translucent. So you can actually see the pebble in the little goldfish mouth, right? I'm telling you. It seems like survival of the fittest would say that goldfish should die. And then you just go eat another goldfish. Right. Right, because it costs, what, a dollar? I don't know, yeah. Bring right. it home in the little Ziploc bag. and I'd always just get them for free at some church activity, and they'd be dead by morning. There you yeah. go. What kind of activity is that? Oh, sushi night. At the church? <laughs> Sushi night. Interesting um, movie, by the way. Have you seen uh, The Goldfish the Size of a Baseball yet? That's a great – I've been listening played to the, the trailer. trailer. That was yeah. a football. Oh, yeah. What did I say? Baseball. Baseball. Yeah. It's all right. Just sports. Goldfish. Now there's going to be one called uh, Conquer. The Frankenfish. The Frankenfish. The fish that would not die. The fish that can't take a pebble. He was obstructed, and then they fixed it. By the way, there's your tagline. The Heimlich maneuver. I think we need to call it something else when you're doing it on goldfish. We could call it the Townsend Lick, rem, rem, the Townsend Lick maneuver. Let's call it the Townsend maneuver. That sounds better. I'm yeah, with Terry on that that's one. Good. I don't know where Lick came from. What's the guy's name? Heimlich. Is his name Heimlich? No, it's one word. Heimlich. By the way, he passed away. He did. No, he didn't. He, no, did, he, was, he did the Heimlich maneuver right. on somebody in his senior center. That was the story. What he a had, stud. He had never performed the maneuver he invented. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's a lucky lady. It is. Or man, whoever it was, yeah. sitting there and there's Mr. Heimlich right next to you while you're choking. You feel safe. On your custard. Wasn't it like Carl Heimlich? It's Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy Heimlich. Jimmy Heimlich. Hey, did you hear about uh, this? Um, you remember the story? There was a lady a few months ago we talked about who was accused of kicking a cake. I don't know if you remember this, but she allegedly drop kicked a birthday cake. She went into a store, picked up a cake, and drop kicked it. Boom. Say what? I know. At Kroger's. And uh, that same woman now is accused. She has a violent past. She not only kicks cakes, but apparently she's also been violent over ice cream. She's accused of assaulting an employee at Ray's Ice Cream in Detroit after they ran out of her favorite flavor in July of 2015. Man. Yeah. She must have like a chocolate chip on her shoulder. Yeah, probably. I have to ask her. She was expected to turn herself in and is expected to be arraigned in the ice cream incident. 
Employee Josh Beard says that he was the first to see 46-year-old Trisha Cortez enter Ray's ice cream. She came in and she wanted the Mackinac Island fudge, and we just didn't have it have it available. That's cold. Yeah. They need to keep these flavors in stock. <laughs> And uh, she was she was infuriated and that we didn't have it. She said, uh, how can you not have Mackinac Island fudge? How is this possible? How is that bleeping possible? She was angry. She got more and more agitated, started screaming at me, cursing at me, at which point Linda, a co-worker, came over and told her to lay off. Hey, lay off. <laughs> the lady starts screaming at Linda now. Telling her customer is always right and all that fun stuff. Poor Linda. I know. Linda's just, just trying to break it up. Linda's just helping her man, her friend. Trying to de-escalate the situation. Then Linda says, you know, if you keep acting like this, you don't get any ice cream. Oh, them are fighting words. And then did she cream Linda? She cream her? So to speak. Are you making fun of the story? You keep making fun of the story. I think we all should. No. No. This is serious. She needs to get that under control, though, because otherwise that's going to be a rocky road. Oof. Oh, but this is – so she did the takeaway. Linda did the takeaway and said, if you don't stop acting like this, you don't get any ice cream. And she threw her ice cream back in the freezer. Mm. The woman then reached over the counter, whacking the employee on the head, causing her head to bleed. It's quite the hit. You know what I do when somebody hits me? What? Ice cream. You do? You scream? She didn't scream. She just moved her ring and just hit me is what Linda said. The incident happened in July 2015. This all precedes the drop kicking of the cake incident. At a Kroger grocery store. Yeah. Because they didn't have the right Batman Superman logo right. or whatever on the cake. You know, you've done a lot of good stories today, but I think that story just takes the cake. Hmm. Seems like you're making fun of the story. I chose this for a really important reason, that some people just can't have sugar. Or need some anger management classes, either way. Holy cow. Well, consider yourself lucky that you don't have to run into that crazy, mean, (laughs) ice cream screaming man. You started that whole thing saying that was cold? Yeah, it's cold. We got a great show. Brian Willoughby is going to be coming in soon. And Brian, uh, one of my great famous favorite professors here at BYU, he's going to walk us through the issue of, is your, are you married to a mind reader? Does your spouse think that you should be able to read their mind? Because that's it's a pretty common problem. If you ask my wife, the answer is yes. She she thinks you should be able to read her mind? Yeah. Do you? Can you? I know her pretty well. Wow. So his answer is no, he doesn't. Okay. We'll talk to Brian about that. Also, after uh, we're, we're through with Brian and Brian's so through with us, we will um, then go might. to BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. I really want to know about this targeting penalty. That ended up was called twice on BYU and back to back. In hold on, was it back to back? Almost, Holy I think it was. God. Yeah, back to back plays. Two players kicked out. Targeting changed the momentum the of the I- game. The idea of the rules: if you 
lead with your head when you tackle somebody. Like your head is the first thing that hits them. That's considered a targeting penalty. You should go in with your shoulder, you know, the yeah. rest of your body, not your head. They're trying to reduce concussions. Well, the problem is, is there's two of us playing here. And if I'm coming to tackle you, you could adjust yeah. in a way that it ends up me targeting you. And that's kind. Of, that's kind of what looked like happened. Yeah, and they also have this in the NFL, and they're yeah. having some issues. Cam on, Newton actually calling had a target it. on his head. Apparently, Cam Newton on the first Monday night football game, or no Thursday night football last week, was hit like three or four times in the head, and he stumbles off the field, and no penalties were called. Yeah, they that's were supposed not, to call those. So that's not good. There's some some fits the, and starts with the rules. But the problem with the, the NCAA rules is you also end up, then those guys are out of the rest of the game and the beginning of the next game. Half of the next week's game. I mean, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Why can't they just have like a penalty box like in hockey where they're just out for a minute or two and then they a great idea. come back in? Totally. And let's say in that box, you have people that can just hit your head with a bat or something. Does that seem violent? Yes, it does. Okay, but, but, but oddly therapeutic. Maybe just a noodle, like a lightsaber noodle. A pool noodle works well for physical attacks. Says the father who does it. It's fine. Child. He loves it. He laughs. He thinks, oh, I'm going to have to record that and bring it to you. Yeah, I'd love to see it. You can see the... Because I heard he slurs his speech after that. <laughs> no no more than usual for a five-year-old. Okay. We need as much evidence as possible to That's give to the very courts. Good. So we'll get to all of that with BYU Sports Nation, plus the hero of the day, Got a lot to get through today. But first, Brian Willoughby, stick with us. We'll be right back talking minding and, and the power of mind reading. Is it possible? I think not. It's probably better to just learn to talk. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Dr. Brian Willoughby, an associate professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. Dr. Willoughby is one of our great friends, and he's the director of the Relate Institute, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to studying and improving romantic relationships. If you're dating, even if you're married, right, you go Mm -hmm. on there, you fill out the Relate assessments, and then it gives you like a prescriptive... Uh, information, stuff to go study to become a better spouse. Yep. It's going to give you information on how your relationship is going, areas of strength and weakness, things that you can work on. It'll give you discussion questions to talk about with your partner. Uh, and even if you're single, we have an assessment for single people that will tell you if you should be if you've, in a relationship oh, really, or not. Really, if you've got any help. or really, So really, if I'm prepared and being what I need to be in order to be the best candidate. Yeah. yeah we, we have enough research out there now to know what makes a good relationship partner. So even if you're single, we can give you feedback and say, hey, based on the research, these are the areas that you need to work on and improve. These are the areas of strength. It could be depressing. Like what if the feedback comes back like, "Eh, not a shot. Then you you reframe and say, I've got lots to work on. Yay. But now I know what my problems are. Now I know what my problems are. (laughs) That's great, Brian. That's really very positive. And the neat thing about your site, if they go to relateinstitute.com, there's a bunch of articles as well. One of them we found, so you didn't marry a mind reader. Yes. So we're not supposed to read our partner's mind? If you can, that'd be, that'd be great. great. That'd be great. Unfortunately, 
No. I haven't met that person yet. No. But we think we can. That's, that's the, the problem. problem. That's yes. the rub, right? We think we can read it, but we're actually not very accurate, so we don't end up communicating because I thought I knew what you wanted. Exactly. And the, the communication process, when I, as, I, as I teach my students, is essentially a guessing game. Any yeah. communication is guessing. The goal, though, is to do it as accurately as possible. And the problem with mind reading or assuming that my partner can mind read is that I'm typically not sending them enough clues Uh and hints and information for them to actually know what I meant. See, but why do we – is it fear? Why why would we choose to mind read instead of get clear on what's real? A lot of it is anxiety. A lot of it is that we, we worry about being vulnerable with our partners. Mm-hmm. We, we don't like being vulnerable. We don't like opening up, even to someone we've been married to for, right. for decades. There's still that fear and vulnerability. But that why? We We're married. This is our soulmate forever. Part of it and a big part of it is we still fear rejection. Yeah. We understand that relation, romantic relationships are about choice, that we chose our partners, whether we're married or dating, they chose us, and they can always decide to unchoose us. <laughs> and so there's yeah. this underlying anxiety for a lot of people that, that I don't want you to, to think badly about me. I don't want to cause conflict. A lot of us are conflict avoidant. Right. And so we also worry that if I just tell you that I'm upset or that I'm worried or express an emotion, that's going to cause conflict. And conflict is bad. Yeah. So instead, we just keep it a secret and then we hope our partner will guess right. Good. Yes. We, <laughs> we, we, we send out these little subtle messages that, that we hope will be picked up. And a lot of it is actually tied to another relationship myth that's tied to this idea of not wanting to have conflict is a lot of people believe that healthy relationships are ones where people just get each other. Yeah, they never have We just have understand. Problems. Yeah, we don't have problems. You're just going to get me. You know, and it, it, in a lot of ways, it ties back to a soulmate myth. Yeah, some ways, right. Blow that, that up. That you're just going to know me. You're going to understand me. And so I, I shouldn't have to say how I feel because if I have to say it <laughs> and I have to be descriptive and yeah. I have to do all these things, there's something wrong in our relationship. <sighs> That is – so we blow that myth up. The reality is you have to communicate, figure it out, trial and error. It's going to get ugly at times, but we'll talk it through. Exactly. Like I said is is you have to understand communication is guessing. Yeah. And that if if my partner has to to essentially guess what I'm feeling and what I'm doing, I need to give them as much good information as I can. I need to – and not just with my verbal language. So it's not just about describing my emotions and describing how I feel. I have to make sure my nonverbal language is saying the same thing. We can't do what we call mixed messaging. Because then they can't get it. I mean you could could imagine if you would do this effectively for years – Ten years in, you might be pretty attuned to each other. Right. Yeah, and that that will come, but it only comes if we're sending clear messages throughout the whole process. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. So in that, you you talk about one of the tools. So if I'm frustrated by something my spouse did, I shouldn't just hold it in and go wallow and be ticked. I should describe to my partner what – me, what I'm feeling. Right. Describe and, myself. And that that's one of the trickiest things about healthy communication yeah. relationships is that it has to be focused on me and my emotions and not on what my partner's doing. Not I, their I, actions. Yeah, I tell couples, I tell people this all the time. You can't start conversations in a relationship about blaming your partner yeah. or about here's all the things that you're making me feel. No one yeah. makes you feel an emotion. Right. You're feeling the emotion. There's context through which you feel emotions. But that's what you need to describe to your partner. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's the I'm angry or I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling sadness about this thing that's happening. And it might be something your partner 
has contributed to, but you don't make it about your partner. You say, you know what, when we were at dinner last night and I was feeling really stressed and, you know, we were talking about this topic and it just made me really angry. And I I need you to know that that I was feeling a lot of anger during that conversation. That's a very different Hmm. conversation than, hey, last night you made me angry. You ticked me off. You really made me angry. It's so true. So, and we always, and I think the way you describe it is more effective because you talk about describing the emotion describing yourself, describing your emotion. They always say, use an I statement. Yeah. But an I statement is kind of misleading because right. I hate you. Right. Yeah. So it's, an I statement is not just starting yeah. with I. I. It's not a word. Right? Yeah. An I statement is a statement that is, is centered on yourself. It's yeah. self-focused inward on here's my experience. Here's the emotion. Here's, here's what I am going through that's, again, not connected to you made me this right. way or I'm blaming you. Because if you start with the you, then I'm making the – I'm giving the power to you to be the one that's the aggressor, the, the hurt, the person that's hurting people. Right. And, and people, we all are like this. As soon as someone – comes at us and says, you did this, and mm. it's negative, we get defensive. Right, that, right. That's our natural tendency. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's never going to set up a positive uh, communication. What if, um, what if I use an I statement? So last night I was feeling really frustrated by our conversation. What if they jump in and say something like and diminish what you were feeling? Like, well, that's stupid. Like, grow up. Right. So, so this, this is the hardest part about communication. <laughs> Yeah. It takes two That's right. good communicators. And it can be frustrating if you have a partner that, that, that does that. Yeah. And what, what you have to do is you have to stay strong with your communication skills and not then get defensive yourself. Right. right? And one of the, the best ways to combat something like that is do what I call seeking, clarif- or, or seeking clarification, which basically means if my partner is doing that, they misunderstood something that I was saying. I need to give more examples. I need to give more detail. I need to give them more information so that they don't feel blamed, so they understand that I'm simply trying to describe my emotions and what I'm Mm. experiencing. Yeah. And I guess the hard part about this is we only have these blow-ups so often, and if they don't get handled well, then we just don't have them anymore. We just – Hide it. Right, exactly. And, and every couple oftentimes will have these topics that they know, okay, if I bring up this, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's kids or money or sex, whatever it is, that it's going to end up in a fight. And so then we start pushing them aside and we, yeah. we don't have the conversations. Unfortunately, that's why a lot of marriages end up with these things that, that prevent them from having the most fulfilling relationships they could have because right. we're not willing to, to work through those issues. And um, so I guess part of what I'm going to try to describe is my state of mind, my feelings, my emotions – and the and the context that I was experiencing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Again, giving good information. Here's what I'm experiencing. Here's my emotion. And here's the context through which I was feeling that. Hmm. And and part of this is based on this assumption that in a romantic relationship, in a marriage, et cetera, that that partner cares for me. Mm-hmm. And that if I'm not blaming them, right, if we're, if we're married to someone, we would hope that if that partner says, you know what, I'm sad, I'm feeling frustrated, right. that our natural tendency there is to help. And we're going to do that unless we feel defensive, like it's about us. And mm-hmm. so if my partner comes to me and says, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm sad, I'm angry about this thing that's happening in our lives, hopefully I'm now going to, to come to the rescue. Yeah, hopefully now we can have a positive conversation. And how many times is it not even about them, right? It's My stress is just about me. It's about my life. It's about my week. I've got a right. very busy week. And as I was sitting there last night and we kept adding things to the week, yeah. 
Exactly. I felt more stressed. Yeah, there, there's actually a stress reduction technique that I teach people sometimes. And the first step is what's called recognize. And it, it ties into this communication piece because it's recognizing why am I feeling the emotion that, that might have nothing to do with what actually happened yeah. right now. It's l- earlier today at work, right. this thing happened. Or last week this happened. Or 10 years ago, I had a boyfriend that did this to me and you've just triggered it. Mm. And that I have to recognize that about myself. And then the next step is to articulate it. Right. And say, you know what? You did this thing and you went out and hanged out, hung out with this, this coworker who was a female. And I, I was cheated on five years ago and I'm really emotional right now and yeah. I'm really stressed. And I need you to know that I'm stressed and that I'm frustrated. And I, I know in my head it's not about you. It's about this That's previous powerful. relationship. Yeah. But I still feel the emotion. And, 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 I'm, and that's me educating you in me yeah. and understanding me. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Let's take a break. We're uh, discussing here with Dr. Brian Willoughby the, uh, the importance of not forcing your partner to be a mind reader, but instead communicating our ways through it. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion about how to describe ourselves, how to uh, you know, share our feelings and emotions, but also how to ask for help from our partner. Stick with us. We're continuing the discussion, making relationships better. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Dr. Brian Willoughby, Associate Professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University, also the Director of the Relate Institute. If you haven't been there, go check out RelateInstitute.com. Is that right? It's yeah. a .com, which is a, it's a great tool, a great website to help you understand where you fit in the relationship and really to direct you to changes you need to make yeah. to become better. Exactly. And you can do it alone as a single or you can do it with... Your significant other. Mm -hmm. Tons of fun. So, Brian, um, we need to, as you're talking about it, instead of just being a mind reader, we need to also – we need to get really good at uh, recognizing what our partner's going through. They need to verbalize it, Mm -hmm. their emotions. They need to verbalize their – what these conditions are doing for them. We share that. Then what? What do I do? So let's say my wife and I were talking it through. She's understanding my my issues with whatever situation – at what point what, – what if, what if we just seem to do this every week and it's right. the same thing and it's the same thing? Yeah. It's the same thing. Here, here's the interesting thing about communication and I think it's a, another place where a lot of couples make mistakes. A lot of couples view communication as a problem-solving tool. Right. And it's not necessarily no. designed for that. Communication is, a, is an understanding That's mechanism. That's exactly what I call it, yeah. It's, it's about understanding my partner. And then again, as I was mentioning earlier, the assumption is, is that if I understand my partner and I understand that my partner is, is struggling, feeling negative emotions or, or going through something, that should motivate now right. my behavior to change in some way. And where a lot of couples get stuck in that pattern of, well, we, you know, we've talked about this issue. We've fought about our budget for decades. Right. And every time we talk about it, it feels like we're just going in circles and circles yeah. and circles. And a lot of that is probably because what they're doing when they're communicating is they're just trying to problem solve. They're trying mm-hmm. to negotiate and compromise yeah. and, and get as much as they can. And, and they walk away from the conversation saying, OK, this, this is what we're going to do. And then they fall back in their normal patterns because they never took the time to truly understand their partner 
and then let that motivate them to change on uh, a personal level. Yeah. They're trying to oftentimes change their partner, trying to change the relationship and not saying, what do I need to do mm-hmm. to work on this? Make and a then, change. Yeah. And then the idea is that if both of us are doing that, yeah. if we're both focused on ourselves and what we can do to improve the relationship in this area, then hopefully it will get better. Right. And It's almost like we're mind reading in the solving part. Like we never actually formally sit down and say, what are you going to change? What am I going to change? We just we assume because we've said it mm-hmm. that yeah. things are going to happen. Yeah, is, and then it, they never happen. It's, it's the exact opposite of what I just said. Yeah. Is what we assume is going to happen is I'm going to tell you how I feel, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to wait for you <laughs> to change <laughs> to change and to make the difference. Right. So I'm, I'm going to throw That's out there, crazy. hey, I'm upset, yeah. and now I'm going to sit back and see That's what right. you do with that information. Yeah, and because if you love me, you'll make a serious change now. That's right. Yep. If you love me, you're going to make a change. If you love me, you're going to go out of your way and surprise me and bring me flowers and <laughs> right. or or let me go hang out with my guy friend. You know, you're going to do all those things because I've told you I'm upset. Right. And yet it. the reality and what we seem to be missing is yeah. a really important moment to build trust mm-hmm. and accountability and show that I can change right. and I will change now that I understand it. Now it may take me a while. Right. But we'll communicate why I'm struggling with the change. Yep. But it's it's just almost make it formal. Make yeah. The change formal. Yeah. And then part of communication there has to be that positive reinforcement that if I see my partner making efforts, this is not just about experiencing and expressing negative emotion. It's also experiencing and expressing positive emotion right. and saying, hey, you know what? You're I killing saw it. Right. yesterday that you tried this. You know, even if personally I feel like it was a weak effort <laughs> and it didn't really do much. I'm still going to acknowledge it because you know what? It means a lot to me that you're trying, that you're making an effort. What do you say to somebody that even after all of this, they, their partner, they just, they just can never deliver. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've just seen couples where they really, they just can't deliver what you want. Right. And so I guess at that point, what do we do? Uh, again, I always, they might deliver 50%. Right. I always, I always turn it back to them and say, why is your, happiness in this relationship right. based on what your partner's doing. I mean, it, yeah, no, and right. that, that, that blows people's minds. And they're like, well, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? That's you mean? why I'm in this relationship because it makes me happy and satisfied. And I always turn back and say, is that what relationships are about? Right. Happiness, satisfaction. Yeah, that's a part of a good relationship, but it's oftentimes just a byproduct. Mm-hmm. It happens because of, of two people that have learned that real relationships are about sacrifice and hard work and deeper commitment that, that there's someone here that I can rely on. And yes, they might do a hundred things that annoy me. And, and, and there might be days that go by that I just not sure I even like that person, but <laughs> there's something deeper there. There's a commitment to each other. There's a commitment that we're working towards something in life. And that gives me a deeper sense of satisfaction than anything that's happening on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that we are still working, we're still improving together as a couple, as individuals, and that over time, and this is the hard part for people, is they put time in the space of a week or yeah. two months. And and they lose sight of the fact that, hey, we've been married for 10 years, and if I were to chart this relationship, yeah, it's going up and down, up and down, up and down, but the trend line is up. Right. And and, and we all like those you know elderly couples who have been married for 40, 50 years <laughs> that seem like you know they, they sit around, they love each other, they don't ever have contention right. fighting. Well, we forget about they they were fighting all the time. They were like cats years and dogs yeah, 30 they, years they, ago. But the, that trend line was up and eventually we get there. And that, that is the nice mm-hmm. thing about relationships, healthy relationships, that the couples that are doing these things that that eventually we can all get there. Plus the older we get, our senses are dulled. 
Right. We can't yeah, hear as much. Sure what's going we don't on see anymore. half as much. Yeah. We don't notice. You can't even hear your partner at that point. <laughs> what? What? Well, that's great insight, Brian. Uh, as we wrap it up, what would you say is the one thing um, that it makes the biggest difference in in uh, making sure communication transpires? If we just can think of one thing that everyone can remember today, let's go home and do it. I think it goes back to what we talked about very early is not having fear around truly expressing my emotions and what I feel to my partner. That if people can get past that first roadblock mm. of being truly open and vulnerable with their partners, a lot of the rest of the communication will work itself out. That's huge. Don't be afraid to express emotion. Get over the fear. Yeah. Powerful. Dr. Brian Willoughby is his name. If you go to relateinstitute.com, you can find out more from Brian. Lots of articles there as well as the assessments. And go to Brian, drbrianwilloughby.com is his website where you can just look at his gorgeous mug. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thanks, my friend. Thank you. We'll take a break. We'll be back with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Hello. first and foremost, what is that song? I need it now. They, uh, It's the Target song. You can buy everything you want at Target. You can buy Target your candles. Song. You can buy your candles in the candles section. You can buy your televisions in the electronic section. It's all at Target. That is true. We discussed Walmart yesterday and how I bought mascara and golf balls and what else did I need to get? That's right. Mascara. Now, that was for the wife. Uh-huh. The golf balls was for dad. Uh-huh. Oh, and a Chick-fil-A gift card. Oh, that's right. And the Chick-fil-A <laughs> was for Jeremy. <laughs> how great. great get- who, who gets a Chick-fil-A gift card and isn't like, yes. Oh, that is the best. You know Chick-fil-A's what the best? Awesome. Also an Amazon.com card. I'm telling you. Yeah. I could spend all day on Amazon. Default. Mm-hmm. A lot of people yeah. do spend all day on Amazon. Totally. We learned out we learned Give on the show Amazon. today just a little review for you that uh apparently if you um are lazy it actually may be a sign of intelligence. I knew it. I knew I was smart. Tell me you weren't trying to convince your wife of that for years. Well, maybe I'm not smart. No, you are. I don't consider myself lazy, but I don't consider myself extremely smart. I consider because you both. I'm that's why I, I try and work hard because I'm not. You work harder. Beca- gifted at certain things, right? but you are supernaturally good looking, and ridiculously you, good looking. Ridiculously Thank good you. looking, and you. Um, but you've you've accomplished a lot in your very young years. At uh, 22, I feel pretty good about where I'm going. I yeah, I would too if I were 22. I love when people come up to us and they go, "When do you guys graduate?" <laughs> Are you serious? You're really good for a college broadcaster. This is our senior thank, thesis. Thank, thank you. Hey, it, I, I got a question. I, I have it's been bothering me since uh, the BYU game, and I need your help. Okay. Targeting penalties. Oh boy. Yeah. Cam Newton had his life at risk uh, on Monday Night Football as they were all targeting him apparently. And then at the BYU game, two targeting penalties that sh- I think changed the entire face of the game. They did. Well, 
The it, one did. Well, and it the seemed, cool. yeah, the kind of cool one, but it the seemed like Kai was doing everything he could do. I mean, I get the concussion thing. I get that. We don't want people targeting helmet to helmet contact. Yeah. But it seemed like Kai Nakua couldn't do anything to get out of the way <laughs> once well, he was, was airborne. So, yeah, it was like the perfect storm because the receiver dipped his head and Kai realized right. what was happening and then tried to make amends for it in the moment. Yeah. At 100 miles an hour. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really tough. But then he's kicked Kalani out of the Satake game. That's why lost his mind. Exactly. But he was kicked out of the game uh, for the rest of that half plus the first half of the UCLA game, right? Yes, and that is a major concern for BYU because Kainakua is a ball hawk, man. He's all over the place. Right. Ah! <laughs> Are you okay, Jerem? No, that was Kai. Oh, I thought by. you got hurt. I thought yeah, somebody I thought somebody stuck you <laughs> with a shank. Um, I hate when that happens. So I guess is, isn't there a way you guys could go talk to somebody and throw some of your weight around so that if we have to call the penalty, we call it, but maybe there's a kinder, gentler version of it where we're not kicked out of the league for a game? Well, that's the point of the review. So on the field, it happens so fast. They throw the flag. They think it's targeting, right? They go up to the booth. They can review it. At that point in that review, it should have been determined that that was not targeting, and they pick up the flag. Mm. But – in the heat of the moment, they make this call, and it's over. And there's no appeal after that. That is it. So That's it. the moment that came back down from the booth, Kainaku was out for the first half against UCLA, who has the best quarterback uh-huh. BYU will face this year. So that's tough, right, to have right. a ball the backs, hawk intercepting yeah. safety, who kind of had an interception at UCLA last year in the end zone oh. off of freshman Josh Rosen, who some think will be a uh, first-round draft pick. Uh, in two years when he's draft eligible. So that's uh, that's a bummer mm. for Brigham mm. Young. So do uh, you think I should suit up? or I mean, I could get in there. Yeah, yeah. I've been known to be a ball hawk. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was hawk. Maybe it was a ball hog. Ball hog. I think yes. they are calling that's, me a ball that's hog. That's a very that different. That's a different. Thing. Do you have a sound yeah. for that one? A ball hog? <laughs> Yeah, it's not as nice as the the hawk sound. Yes, the ball hog can also be uh, is also known as the black hole. The black AKA hole. Carmelo Anthony. Hey, oh, exactly. Passing the ball and it's gone forever. Shoot it. <laughs> Shoot it. Never saw a shot he didn't want to take. Hey, what uh, what's on your show today? You guys still going to do your show? Yes, and it is centered around this Twitter question: Why do you expect BYU to beat UCLA? Or do you? Dun, dun, dun. I need to find Dramatic Squirrel on YouTube. That's great. Yeah. We I go like... two-on-one with Butch Pau and uh, Jack DeMooney. Ooh. Butch Pau is the happy hitter. Yeah, he's... Like, he's... he's the guy that was laughing when he... Yeah. He, he hits somebody super hard and gets up and just has this huge smile on his face. Yeah, he hit a guy. Oh. And he's, he is smiling. Maybe is it, is that's... laughing. Maybe he had a concussion. You never know. He's... And then we have Jack DeMooney, who is... Always entertaining. Will they beat UCLA, Jerem? <laughs> <laughs> that is great sound, you guys. Does he just carry his little sound machine? It's his computer. AKA a laptop. It's okay. His computer. AKA a laptop. He's just holding the computer up to the microphone. Well, that's, you know. that's, of course, they're going to beat UCLA, right? Why? Because they're playing at home. Okay. And, and it's hard to play here. It is hard to play in Provo, Utah. It's the altitude. I don't there's, know. There's more to it than that, Matt. What? I will give you three reasons why I feel 
like BYU is going to win this game. On on your show, you're going to give us three reasons. You're not I'm going give to. It. I don't know how Jerem feels, but I'm going to very uh, animatedly <laughs> explain why Are you UCLA use... once again is the most overhyped team in all of college football, and BYU will beat them on Saturday. <gasps> Wouldn't that be great? I think they're going to win just because BYU is going to stripe them out. <laughs> they're going to stripe out the stadium. Once you, there you go. Once you stripe out a stadium, there's like— about it. It's over. It's over, dude. Okay. Got 99 problems and stripes ain't one, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you guys, that's going to be a good show, I can already tell. We're excited. If it's not, then we'll just do it again tomorrow, okay? Have you done your push-ups, Jerem? For what? I mean, I know you, you pump up before the show. You always try to get the veins popping. Oh, no, popping. I, get, I get dim 30s going. Dim 30s? Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain? Weights. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the 30-pounders. That's only if I wear a uh, short sleeve shirt. Okay. Today That's I have a long sleeve shirt. Wow. J.I.C., J- man, just in case. Just in case. There's some guy out there named Justin Case. Yeah. He's, he's, pro- he's dealing with this all day. <laughs> it, all day long, just in case. Hey, Justin. We are? Yeah. No, just in case. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, we wish you the best of luck on your show, and may the force be with you. Thank you, Matthew. And happy um, happy hoagie day to you both. Oh, it's a it always it's happy is. hoagie day. Happy eat a hoagie Wednesdays day. Wednesdays are uh, Spencer's hoagie day, so that's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good afternoon. Have a great show, gentlemen. Thank you. Knock them dead. Yeah, happy hoagie day, and happy National Cream Filled Donut Day. Holy cannoli! A cannoli, by the way. Found uh, I had a cannoli in Boston that would knock your socks off, your Boston Red socks off. Okay, you, do tell. No, that's all I got to say. Oh, Greatest. Right. I had no. I had never. I had used the phrase "holy cannoli," but I had never eaten a holy cannoli and then said "holy cannoli." Fantastic bit of heaven. Fantastic bit of heaven. Hey, as we uh, wrap this show up, I got a crazy story for you that uh, don't ever underestimate somebody that is a little more senior in age. Uh, Don't mess, especially with Winifred Peel, ever, exclamation point. She might be 77, but she's got a whole lot of fight in her. Recently, she was approached by three men who tried to mug her of $200 outside of a bank in England. She wasn't having any of it, by the way. She managed to grab one of the attackers and fought back, banging his head against the cash machine three times. That really hurt. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. You fight like a woman. (laughs) She is a woman. She is a woman and a 77-year-old one at that. The three men from Manchester have all been jailed after pleading guilty to robbery. The prosecutor said that they drove to the village to find easy targets. They made a mistake there. Once they saw Winifred put in her PIN number, they struck. One of the men grabbed her and the second grabbed the money. Winifred grabbed the second man by the collar and banged his head three times against the ATM. The men ran out but uh, were picked up later by police. That was great audio that we trapped. Uh, we, we caught the video of her banging his head against the uh, ATM. Sounded like Michael Myers, by the way. Maybe it was Michael Myers. Michael Myers, the serial killer? Yeah. With the white William Shatner mask? Yeah, that guy. Hmm. I didn't know he said anything. Yeah. You didn't? 
Everyone's a comedian. Everyone's a comedian. As we wrap it up, we always like to do a little hero story of the day. And uh, to today's hero, the Internet raises thousands for an 89-year-old Chicago popsicle man. According to CBS News, timing is everything, especially for 89-year-old Fidencio Sanchez. He knows that walking down the right street in Little Village and stopping at the right corner means he'll sell more paletas or fruit popsicles. Timing is also the reason why he's now making headlines across the city and the country. A man who happened to be at the right place at the right time saw Sanchez do his everyday job, and he snapped a photo of it. He then felt compelled to begin a GoFundMe campaign to raise funds for the vendor, um, according to CBS Chicago. He said, I saw this elderly man struggling to push a paleta cart, a popsicle cart. It broke my heart seeing that this man should be enjoying retirement, still working at his age. Joel Cervantes Macias, who started the campaign, said on a GoFundMe page, I had to pull over and look at this picture. I then bought 20 paletas and gave him a 50 and said, my goodness, may God bless him and drove away. He then went home, posted the Facebook uh, photo on Facebook, and it has now received a huge response. That's when he said someone suggested he started the campaign to help Sanchez, which he has done. And in a matter of days, random strangers have now donated more than $200,000. The original goal was $3,000. God sent it at a time that we needed it most, his granddaughter Dulce Perez told CBS reporters. Anyway, now that uh, the mom had just passed away, her, the, the man's wife had just passed away, and they felt... Uh, burdened and now this man can just retire it's amazing the power of many people that have such big hearts i'm just so very thankful that people had the compassion said perez so there's your hero story of the day all it took was somebody noticing another person let's make it a goal today to just pay attention to others around us just start noticing that there are other human beings around you trying to make it through this crazy thing we call life and maybe that's all you need to be a good hero Until tomorrow, folks, take care of each other. We will be back again tomorrow. If you want, you can go to iTunes. Go find all of our past episodes or Stitcher. Go to BYURadio.org. Look us up on Facebook, on iTunes, on TuneIn. We're everywhere. Until tomorrow, folks, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.